At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I am your co-host, Christopher Mukigana Harrington, joined by my North by Northeast in a snowy Tonawanda suburb, Mr. Brandon Howard Thurston. Brandon, how are you today? I'm, I'm good. Uh, I'm looking out the window here across the kitchen, and I can see the... Uh... The trees are just doused in snow. The snow is coming down right now, getting ready for Christmas, I guess. I think we're going to have a, a white Christmas here in the Buffalo area. You haven't, you've missed out on the snow, though. We, we have it on the ground. It's just frozen solid, and it's uh, like 22 degrees now, and it's going to drop to like negative one uh, by Christmas Day. It's going to be super duper cold. So it will uh, be uh, quite the time to stay inside, eat some pizza, and uh, what? try to stay warm. Pizza, it's, it's this, it's this like, um, I think it's Polish, and uh, kind of like a cinnamon bread swirl concoction thing. They make a poppy seed version of it, which is terrible, <laughs> but they make uh, other versions that are very nice. It's like some pastry thing that my wife enjoys very much, and so she went to Costco to get a whole bunch of them without nuts in them, because she... So that was a is, big is adventure for us. In, in Minnesota, Costco. No, Target. Oh, Target's the big company that once. Target's no huge Wegmans. for us Wegmans here. hasn't broken into uh, Minnesota yet, huh? No, no. I'd quit my job and, and go be uh, the first franchisee in Minnesota for Wegmans and be able to serve just the University of Rochester alumni community that's here alone to uh, make millions and millions of dollars. Not billions, but millions. Like for you sure. send uh, Danny Wegman a, a pitch and tell him that you want to start a franchise, and you can even. St- start out by marketing it and sponsoring it right here on WrestleNomics Radio. 
That is true. WrestleNomics Radio is always up for sale. Uh, whether you are a, a legitimate or illegitimate company, perhaps a, you just lost your whole Bitcoin wealth and uh, you're looking for a quick fix, feel free to advertise on WrestleNomics Radio. Or maybe if you're looking into starting up a sports league, um, I, I guess you can send us a, a, a pitch and we'll, we'll think about it. <laughs> it's been a, a fascinating kind of two weeks here. This whole – it was you know URFL and the Alpha Entertainment and it, all these, these rumors swirling around and then it just kind of cascaded on top of that this week as Vince McMahon sold 3.34 million shares of WWE on um, – what day did he do that on Thursday? I think two days ago from today, yeah. So Thursday, and we, we talked a little bit about this last week. And I figured, well, you know, it was it was kind of just rumor, or well, it was news, and WWE basically confirmed it by not denying it. But I kind of felt like, well, maybe it's who knows what he's really thinking about doing, or what he's is he going to really start a football league? I don't know. But then Thursday comes, and uh, I'm driving home from work or something. I get home from work and I check my email again, and you get one of those WWE investor relations alerts that they, you know, one of these emails that they send you when they, when they put out a press release or a document or something. And I'm, I see it's, Oh, it's an 8k and an 8k is like, uh, I don't know. You probably can better explain what an 8k is, but it's some, some, it's a material events, yeah. uh, filing, I believe yeah. is how they refer so we get to an it. 8k when there's a quarterly report or whenever something significant happens, I think they put one out as well. And, uh, there you go. We got Vince McMahon selling over 3 million shares in WWE, almost worth a hundred million dollars. And it says right there in the document that it's to be, you know, to be used for alpha entertainment. And he's exploring potential investment opportunities in sports entertainment, including professional football. So this is really for real. This is really happening, huh? Well, <laughs> I have my tin hat, tinfoil hat uh, conspiracy about it because you, you have Vince McMahon. He sells 3.34 million shares. Uh, we find out on Friday we actually get the the um, form number four, which shows then what was the actual transaction at, and it says that he did it at twenty eight sixty eighty six, I think it was, or twenty eight sixty eight. What did it, what did I put it in as? Um, twenty eight sixty eight per share. He sold it yeah. for. and so that lines you at just a share under uh, ninety six million ninety five million seven hundred ninety one thousand two hundred dollars. Uh, minus any other you know broker fees and they, they do this as the block sale and when you're unloading such a large amount of stock there's actually two transactions the first one is it converts class b shares into class a shares and then it sells those class a shares and so the class b shares those are the mcmahon only shares those are the ones that have the magical 10 times voting power that allow the mcmahon family to basically have a uh, structure that they can have a publicly traded company but they can control it just by their voting shares yeah. And so uh, he made about $96 million. And you might you know, think, wow, that's, that's a lot less than the stock was worth. You know, it was trading closer to $32, $33 a share at the time this was done. But when you're doing such a large block sale, you usually sell it at a discount. And people who remember might recall that in August of 2016, Vince McMahon sold 1.55 million shares. So at the time, about half as many shares as he sold in this last one here. And for that sale, he made about $30 million. So it's amazing that in a year, he would sell twice as much, but make more than three times more money on it. And uh, at that time, he had done, when he did a block sale, he sold it for probably about a buck and a half off of the current price. And it's interesting too, noting that at that time, he referred to it as estate planning. And, um, of course, this was in the prelim to the whole election as well. So, of course, Linda was probably 
you know, also thinking a lot about her um, estate and what she was doing with all her things if, if Trump were to win. And it's intriguing to me that when the Alpha Entertainment thing came out, I just assumed he was going to take that massive amount of dividends that he has been accruing for year after year after year, the personal wealth he About has. About $17 million uh, a year in dividends, yeah. And and the fact that we know that, you know, when Linda gave out all her holdings, she had lots and lots and lots of, of money in real estate and, and other things that she was claiming. And I figured he was just going to plow that into this Alpha Entertainment. But no, he it said specifically he was moving this money into this Alpha Entertainment group, uh, almost $100 million, which is, is a fair sum of money. Um, putting it in perspective, though, let's remember that Linda McMahon spent about $100 million on her political campaigns for Senate. Um, and that XFL alone, you know, lost a hundred million plus and some of those losses going to WWE, some of them going to NBC at the time. But it, it's intriguing just to note that, you know, we've seen Vince work in a hundred million dollars before and it's not like Linda losing a hundred million bankrupted them at all. So it's not to say what, that what this is huge. Uh, say to you about Vince and Linda? The joke was that each of them had the right to uh, basically blow $150 million on whatever they wanted. And so Linda chose politics and he chose bodybuilding and extreme football. Yeah. I guess this is what you do. When and you, when I, I wish I could wealthy. credit who said that to me. It, it might have been Mike. It might have been someone else. But someone said that and I thought that was really clever. Uh, and it's very true. Um, here's my tinfoil hat conspiracy about, about this whole deal. Vince McMahon goes to sell $1.5 million share last year. And you know what? People kind of freak out because they get nervous about why is Vince taking value out of the company? Doesn't he see a long-term opportunity here? What does he need this money for? Fast forward a year and a half, he wants to take $100 million out. Now, if he takes $100 million out, we are just a few months before he's going to announce the new domestic TV rights deal. He said he'd do that in May to September of 2018, have the UK deal done in the second half of 2018, have the India deal done in the first half of 2019. So if the chairman of the board, the CEO of your company, decides to take out $100 million when the stock is at 30 bucks a share, and all those analysts are out there saying, well, as soon as this TV deal hits, it's going to hit 37 It's going to hit $40 a share. It's going to shoot right up. Doesn't it seem like the CEO is himself saying, whoa, we're trading too high right now. I better get some wealth out. Uh, and, and I don't have great faith in this. And so in a sense, if he took out four Four point three percent of the outstanding shares of Class A and B common stock and sold it. People would, um, in my mind, freak out and say, "Oh my gosh, Vince doesn't think we're going to get a good renewal. Vince doesn't believe in the company." Yada yada yada. However, if you create this narrative that there's a football company that you're funding and you're getting into the football business and you need some equity for that, suddenly nobody's batting an eye about the fact that just you know six months before you're going to be announcing a new TV rights deal. And at a, a all-time high for the company, this guy decided to start cashing out. That now everyone's like, oh, it's just doing a football deal. What What's wrong with that? And so, yeah, the stock took a hit afterwards. It was down 7%. It dropped to about twenty nine fifty five dollars uh, for closing and even dropped below that at, at certain points, I think. Um, and it was, you know, if you look at the graph, it starts off at this like 32 number and then it opens up below $30 a share the next day. Um, and it did have some other effects. You know, Citigroup downgraded WWE from a buy to a neutral on the day after the sale. And I have to believe that this played a role in it. Uh, JP Morgan Chase had just initiated co um, coverage of them on the 6th of December, and that was right during their big build. So I'll be curious to see if anybody else, you know, uh, feels a little skittish about this. But to me, 
Vince McMahon has pulled off quite a coup because he has managed just for the cost of founding a new company in Delaware and trademarking some uh, trademarks. He has found a way to basically take $100 million out of a company and not have people completely freak out and lose their minds. Yeah, well, I, I think – do you think that Vince is – he's trying to make the most money here and that you're, you're kind of suggesting that the Alpha Entertainment or Football League is sort of, of a f- facade so that he can cash out at a, at a high point while not expecting – maybe secretly not expecting a TV rights deal to be that good? Is that what you're saying? I'm saying that – I I don't believe that he is not interested in pursuing football, which is a double negative. I do believe he is interested in pursuing this. I don't think this is just – originally when we heard about Alpha Entertainment, I responded that I thought it was just a streaming service or a fantasy football service or something of that nature. Um, and I still kind of believe that, that you know George Berrios is going to all these conferences, hearing about all these startups. They invested in Flow, flow Sports. You know, I, I could see Vince McMahon being – canny enough to just say hey you know what maybe if i just take a hundred million dollars make my own vince mcmahon venture capital firm and go out there and start kind of pitching it you know let let people pitch me good ideas and i'll invest in them that that makes a lot of sense for a guy like vince who has all this wealth what doesn't make a lot of sense to me is the actual let's go fight with football let's go fight with the nfl um the whole whole situation, though we know how combative yeah, Vince is, we know how petty Vince yeah, is. Yeah, that doesn't make a lot of sense. But for Vince McMahon, the impression that I have of Vince McMahon is he wants to transcend pro wrestling. He wants to be this fabulous entertainment promoter, and he he needs to graduate from pro wrestling and get into some other business, whether it be movies which haven't worked out, or bodybuilding which didn't work out, or football which didn't work out, and maybe football again because maybe he thinks it will work well, out this time. But you're Basil DeVito. You are Vince McMahon's trusted business advisor. You've been, you know, family friend for 30 plus years. Um, you're helping Vince with this idea because I think Basil ended up in a uh, big XFL role, if I don't, if I remember correctly, uh, in the last time around. So what I would see is, you know, Vince is going in this direction as his business advisor. If you can do this calculus, you might say, hey, Vince. I don't think this football thing's a great idea, but I'm not going to say that to your face because that's not the right way to approach it. However, I do think it's a great idea for you to get $100 million of value out of this stock right now. The was the president of the XFL. Yeah, so my my vision is – you can probably hear my uh, washing machine in the background playing a laundry tune. You got to put it in the dryer now? (laughs) No, I'm going to hold off for a little bit. But um, to me, it's just his – Basil or someone – I don't know if Basil is really involved in this, but I'm just giving an example. They look at the calculus and they say this is a great way for Vince to get money out and not to have the, stake t- the, tank, the, the stock tank. And at the same time, it serves Vince's purpose of putting money into an idea and then being able to start pursuing that idea. Now, do I think he's going to spend $100 million on this? I don't know. I really don't know. But I think it's it's kind of a nice one where you can say Vince's idea of crazy is aligning with a business advisor's idea of let's put some risk adjustment on this, knowing that, yeah, maybe it will. Maybe it won't work out great on this new TV rights renewal. But just the fact that in 18 months, he can get three times um, as much money out than he could get 18 months ago without people freaking out. I think that's a big win for him. And, you know, I, I do think he should at some point not keep it all in WWE stock. It does make some sense to me to kind of scale down a little bit and still control. What did they say? He still has like 80 percent of the voting rights. Something like 82 percent of the voting rights. Yeah. 
Yeah, 82.8% of the company's total voting power, despite only owning 42% of the company's shares. Yeah, I mean, like, to do the math, so, he, you don't, he only really needs to own, what, 5% of, of the company, right? To have 50% of the control, or I guess, like, what, 5.1% would give him control still? Five point, yeah, five percent of the the um, class B stock for sure. Um, but uh, you know, it, it it does. It probably depends on what the float of the total stock is, and he's and, now and how much. Yeah. And he, he's but, yeah. now down to forty three percent of all shares, but still has control so I, of the company. To be clear, yeah, and and there's a lot of other trends happening right now. We're seeing other companies, you know, begin to diversify out where they're saying, hey, you can buy a large portion of our. Our shares here of what's or other. Let me restart that. That sentence made no sense. We're seeing other big transactions happening with media conglomerations, with the Fox Disney deal and other people. And I thought Will Cooling had a really good um, letter to Dave Meltzer that he he wrote. And I, I'm actually hoping to talk to Will more about this, just about how this Fox Disney deal could mirror how something like WWE might might in fact not have a secession within the company, but rather go outside the company. And so it's not going to be even a Triple H. Uh, uh, Stephanie deal, but in fact, a different company really coming in and taking over uh, a WWE corporation and how you can see such a huge sale coming from the Murdochs and just say, wow, here's an example of a, of a family owned business basically giving up that control to a uh, major media conglomeration. And if it works out and gives you a giant sale on that deal, maybe it would convince some of these people who have been so reluctant in the past. And I think for the average fan, I, I could see that happening. I could see a, a future where WWE is owned by some big conglomerate. Um, but I still see for, for those for those of you out there who are waiting for Paul Levesque to save the day, I would still foresee a situation where Paul Levesque is in charge of creative after Vince is gone. Even if even if even if WWE is owned by Disney or Comcast or whatever. I mean, I think for sure the theory is always you want to hire someone who's got experience in that industry and and has respect of their peers and has, you know, that pedigree. And <laughs> you're 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 talking about yeah, right. <laughs> but you're talking about you know, there's maybe ten people on earth who would fit all of those bills. And especially if you're limiting it to people that are American citizens, it's going to be even less. If you're you know you're going to knock out the CMLL office or the New Japan office or people like that. So it'll be, it'll be so like Paul it, maybe Jeff Jarrett. Yeah, I mean, you could even argue that you could see a role where not that they really have the experience, but they would argue they do some like a Ring of Honor type, ring, ring you know, executive uh, Delirious a call or Gato a call. <laughs> well, and there's such a big difference between being the booker, being the president, being – one thing I've always said is that Vince McMahon were to pass away, I don't believe all the roles would be consolidated in the next person. I think we would finally see a separation of creative from CEO position, from the head of the board of directors position. And right now that's what's so unusual about it is that you have a single titan sports enter prizes uh, a leader head. The figurehead who's basically running all of those different divisions, and that's what's so crazy about it. And that's why it's also really hard to understand how Vince would would balance this new investment, this new idea, with his time in WWE, and not have the shareholders feel that they're being shafted. Yeah, well, they were a publicly traded company in 2001 when the XFL was going on, and he managed to do whatever he did then as far as running both companies. I know, I, obviously, the XFL was a huge failure, but they. But XFL was part of what the shareholders for WWE were receiving. That's true. Yeah. So that's that's my point is that basically you're saying here's your head of your company and he's basically saying I have my own company. I have my own idea. I'm going to go work on this. Yeah. 
well, what about your position as the board of directors? Yeah. What about your position as CEO? Yeah, so, so like, like this company that you're investing in that I've been working on night and day, I'm going to take half my time and spend it elsewhere, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I just mean as a shareholder, you would you would probably say, wow, well, don't we have an employment contract with you that says that you're yeah. supposed to be spending your time here? And, and every one and, of those SEC filings and even the investor presentation talks about the, you know, the risk assessment or whatever. And not one of the biggest risks is has to do with Vince McMahon and his continued, I don't know if employment is the right word, but his continued work with uh, WB. Which is why that 8K you refer to had a sentence in it that says, he intends to continue in his capacity as the company's chairman and chief executive officer for the foreseeable future and also mentions that he has no further plans to sell additional shares in the company's stock, which is why it was such a large transaction too, right? If he did three transactions of a million shares apiece, each time we'd see a hit and each time probably people would start freaking out more and more and more. Well, in August 2016, it was – was it were there two moves and then there was a move in May of that year too, wasn't there? Um, I think Linda – uh, ended up blowing out some stock no, 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 too. Because Lin- Linda only owns like five hundred and fifty thousand shares and uh, herself, and then they have. I, I looked into this quite a bit. Like they, they, there's a. You're right. You're right that Vince had done a few transactions. He was also messing with all his trusts, if I recall, where they were like liquidating some of these irrevoc- irrevocable trusts and and changing the way that they were all structured, and so. Some of it was it was questionable well whether or not that was just them reorganizing kind of how all their assets were. I mean, it was clear the August sale was him taking out a lot of money, uh, and it was also clear at one point that Linda had obviously had kind of cleaned out her coffers um, because when she did her filings as the SBA, um, she had to say how much she owned of different companies, and so it was pretty clear that she had been getting rid of a, a lot of her WWE holdings at that time too. But no, you're you're right. There there have been other sales by them. It, it's still funny though because it was for a long time there didn't seem to be a lot of sales going on by them. They just seemed to be holding the stock and content to have it. And it was clear that you know he makes a lot of money, more money on the dividends than he ever does on, even on his employment contracts. So he gets a large stream of revenue already from owning WWE stock. And so in another sense too, you could probably calculate how many div- how many millions of dollars of dividends he's basically forsaking by giving up this stock, yeah, right? Yeah, that's true, yeah. So he's not, he's that, not gonna, what is it? Well, it's about 17, $17 million a year. Uh, I'm looking at an oil yeah. article that I wrote about a year ago. Uh, Linda formerly co-owned with her husband – Vince, a trust which held at most eight and a half million shares of WWE, the remaining 3.7 million shares that were in the trust at the start of 2016 were liquidated in two installments in May and August of 2016 for a total sale of $66 million. And at, at 12 cents a quarter, which I don't remember if that's actually what the dividend is at or not, yeah, but that would only – okay, that would only be about $1.6 million. So, I mean, he's getting $96 million and he's forsaking one6 So it's not like – He's going to be a poor man at the end of this. But, uh, you know, for anyone, uh, rest of us, I think we'd love to have $1.6 million just coming in every every year because of a trust fund and live off of that. (laughs) But um, let's talk a little bit about um, trademarks, because I think that's been the interesting thing to me about how we've learned so much of the story is is not even been in these stock transactions, but on the trademark filings. And just the the tangled web that's been weaved there. 
Um, so the first one is is David Bixen Span, who is one of the first people who was talking about the story after Brad Shepard originally um, posted about it, and then Bix went out and got the statement for Deadspin by WWE about Alpha Entertainment. And on a second article that Bix wrote for Deadspin, it said VKM Ventures and Alpha Entertainment are in fact the same company. And this is interesting because for a while there, I searched and searched and searched for VKM Ventures. And the only thing that I was coming up with was a Florida property company that appeared to be um, registered by some guy named Raphael and had nothing to do with Vince. And I, I couldn't justify it. And finally, what I realized is that that's because VKM Ventures out of Delaware is the same company as Alpha Entertainment. If you look at their biz file number, they did some sort of a renaming in there. Um, and we haven't found the filing that says that, but but Dave feels pretty um, David feels pretty confident on that, and it makes a lot of sense that it would be the same company this whole time. And you so can, you can see I, Vince I thought being that dissatisfied with just merely his initials and wanting to rename it to something something stronger and more alpha. Well, and at the same time, that goes back to my idea of saying, you know, what if it was a venture capital firm, you know, VKM Ventures? That makes a lot of sense. So it, it's very different between that and Alpha Entertainment. For sure. Um, Bix notes that on January 25th, there's a press conference rumored. And let's keep in mind that date of January 25th, because I think that's that's an important one. And while he notes that all the trademarks were filed basically during the height of the whole football controversy with Trump and other people, it I, I still go back to what exactly would be your vision of this league? How would it be different? And then how would you even lure in, you know, a, a, a big name player like a Kaepernick? If your your entire talking point is about not this kneeling and not things, because you know obviously he wouldn't be the guy that you'd want to be joining the league if that's your issue, and and so it's so it's confusing to me where we're almost conflating you know his uh, republicanism and his closeness with Donald Trump with his uh, love of controversy and his love of of kind of stirring the pot, because in some ways it almost feels like those are two very different visions of saying here I'm going to give you the old timey conservative. Um, uh, feel good football that you're used to and on the flip side you're being like I'm pushing the envelope and I'm doing everything and I'm going to bring in the people that you would think I should never have have associated with my brand you know the Mike Tysons I think as we mentioned uh, last week maybe they will play the national anthem throughout the entire game mm-hmm. so let's go back to these trademarks so uh, Darren Roval of uh, ESPN wrote an article and the first thing he said was that Alpha Entertainment had filed XFL trademarks and I, I got really frustrated. I was like, no, they, they didn't. WWE did. I was wrong. December 16th, XFL was filed. They filed five trademarks by Alpha Entertainment. So keep in mind, the first set of trademarks that were filed were on September 26th. So this is months and months later. This stuff was out there for a while if it was on the trademark website, which sometimes is delayed. So I can understand that we didn't catch it then for a lot of reasons. But – um. XFL, they filed five different trademarks on December 16th, so last week, literally, and one of them was for entertainment services, one of them was for toys and sporting goods, goods. one of them was for basically posters and paper products, one of them was for jewelry, and one of them was for downloadable software in the nature of mobile applications for displaying information relating to football expo- exhibitions, football schedules, and so forth. So they filed five XFL ones, four of them for – or. You could say three of them for straight up merchandise, one of them for kind of digital merchandise and one of them for what we'll call entertainment services. And this is important, too, because there's international classes that you associate with all the um, 
the filing. So they when they when they, you do trademarks, you can you know trademark T-shirts different than you can trademark just the name you're using different than you might trademark a keychain. Um, and so there's classes for each of these. And so the entertainment services, that's class 41, the toys and sporting goods, that's class 28, the posters, that's class 16, the jewelry, that's class 14, the downloadable software, that's class nine. So it makes a lot of differences about which class you're using there. And if we look at like what the URFL one was that they did on the, the 26th of September, that was on class nine. So again, the downloadable software, um, area, What's intriguing is to then say, well, what has WWE done with their XFL trademarks? Well, WWE, on the 4th of January of 2017, they filed an XFL trademark for Class 25, and that's clothing, namely tops, shirts, jackets, sweatshirts, bottoms, pants, shorts, underwear, pajamas, ties, scarf, gloves, swimwear, Halloween costumes, footwear, shoes, slippers, sneakers, flip-flops, headwear, hats, caps, wristbands, bandanas. They did an XFL one for that. And that trademark is still going on. So essentially, WWE has the right to XFL shirts is if this trademark gets granted. If you noticed, all the things I listed for what Alpha Entertainment was looking for for merchandise, toys and sporting goods, posters, jewelry, those aren't shirts. They were very specific about not listing shirts or hats. And so I think that there's something there where they're looking for different classes, international classes, class 25 versus class 28 versus class 16 versus class 14, different classes of trademarks so that they wouldn't be conflicting with that WWE trademark. Um, which which will eventually that, expire and then maybe the, this XFL. Well, uh, so let, okay. let, let, let's go through the second trademark. So WWE has two XFL trademarks that are active. They have this merchandise one they just did in the beginning of this year, 2017. They have a second one that's the XFL Entertainment Services trademark. That is Class 41. That's the same Class 41 as what they're looking for on the XFL Alpha Entertainment one that was on the 16th of December. WWE's XFL trademark was filed in September 4th of 2012, years and years and years ago. This Entertainment Services one covers – Basically, it's it's written the same way they they write all their WWE wrestler ones, entertainment services, wrestling exhibitions, um, uh, entertainment through broadcast media, uh, fan clubs, online community portal, all sorts of things of that nature. This trademark was filed on September 4th of 2012 and has been granted. Um, when, what's intriguing about it is that you have to – whenever you file a trademark, the purpose of a trademark, again, is to – Avoid confusion in the marketplace for the consumer. That's why we have trademarks. And then the argument is that if you're in different classes of trade, you basically don't have to worry about two people calling their product the same if they're clearly very different areas. So, But it's where they overlap that there's going to be those challenges. So you can't have two entertainment services companies that both call themselves XFL because that would confuse people in the marketplace. So what happens with that? Well, this – XFL application by WWE has not actually been used in commerce yet. They have not filed a statement of use of, in commerce basically showing here's how we are using the XFL name today. And it's not enough just to say, well, ESPN did a documentary about the XFL because that's showing old footage. That's historical. That's not saying I have a broadcast contract with a, a TV company. I, I broadcast XFL games or even 
I show XFL games on the WWE Network. Look here. You can look at me streaming them. Or they need to uh, ironically sell XFL t-shirts on WShop.com. Yes. And the t-shirts would probably actually go to the the clothing trademark more than it would go towards this entertainment services one. Um, I would argue that you would have to look at this definition of entertainment services where it says things like broadcast media or fan club services. So if they start an XFL fan club that you could sign up for, that would that would definitely satisfy it. So you get to extend your trademark if you basically if it's granted, but then you don't use it, you can keep filing for extensions. But there's a limit to how many times you can do that. You can do that five extensions after the first extension. So six times for a total of 36 months. So they had, as of January 13th, 2015, 36 months to file a statement of use. That means their statement of use is due by January 13th of 2018. Well, what do you know? That is what, four weeks away? Mm-hmm. And it's very unlikely that WWE is going to file a statement of use on this XFL Entertainment Services contract by that time. If that happens, basically the old WWE one could be abandoned and in because Alpha Entertainment has been the first one to file an XFL trademark for Entertainment Services as of December 16th, 2017, they would probably be the ones to get it. So one reason why they filed an XFL trademark even though it quote unquote conflicts with the WWEs, in my opinion, is probably because they want to have first rights to that name XFL. Now, do they actually want to be called the XFL is a big question mark. I believe that they're getting referred to by the as XFL by everybody so much that they really don't want someone else jumping in and taking that XFL trademark. So it, at least for protection purposes, it makes a lot of sense to get the rights to that name. Just so you have them because everyone's already calling you XFL anyways. And clearly you couldn't use XFL beforehand because that was going to trigger everybody. We were going to catch that very easily. So using URFL or for the love of football or United Football League or UFL are better for that purpose. But it it will be an interesting question mark about A, what happens to WWE's merchandising on T-shirts and hats for XFL, which is still active, which is still alive. B, what happens with WWE's entertainment services for XFL, which basically needs a statement of use filed before it expires next month. C, if you remember, I told you that press conference was rumored for what, like January 25th? 25th. Well, January 13th is when the old XFL name is going to be disappearing. So it makes a lot of sense that if you're going to do a press conference, you want to make sure it's after this other date would have, in theory, passed. Mm -hmm. D, There's a big question mark to me about what the shareholders of WWE – and granted, the voting rights are controlled by Vince McMahon, but what the shareholders should feel about this whole deal. Because again, this is WWE IP that they've registered. And yet if they're just going to let it lapse or they're going to let their chairman go into his private organization and go make a profit off of it, that would seem like a huge conflict of interest where he should have to pay a fair market value. It should have to be decided by neutral parties that are not McMahon family members deciding what the value of that trademark should be or that IP should be. So I can see a situation where WWE does sell the merchandising rights of their XFL t-shirts and hats. But at this point, I would argue – All this value that you're creating around this buzz of a a football league should tell me WWE should not go quietly into that good night because as a shareholder, that would seem like a huge brazen conflict of interest. 
for the the chairman to set up his own company for private gain after already hurting your stock by taking a hundred million dollars out to fund this company, and now basically trying to use that for his own gain. Now, do I think he's going to gain from it? Probably not. In the end, I think XFL is going to also lose a lot of money. Yeah. But you know what? WWE deserves – the shareholders deserve to get a fair price for this. And just because they don't conflict on international classes does not mean that they're necessarily going to get these trademarks. Um, a, a guy who runs a, a really good website called tantalizingtrademarks.com sent me a note and he said, the classification of goods and services is irrelevant. If the goods and services are related, regardless of class, existing applications or registrations can still block a later filed application. Also, WWE has filed another application for XFL covering sports entertainment and all other services in July. So I need to check that um, now that I'm reading that out loud. I'm, I'm sensing that he's telling me there's one more XFL doc, um, uh, application by WWE that I missed. So we're going to do some real-time trademark searching here. I'm going to USPTO.gov, going to the search here. I'm going to type in XFL. I'm going to see a whole bunch of different names, and I'm going to see that you know there's a dead one from that date. There's uh, the September 2012 one that I've mentioned. There's the January 4th, 2017 one, and... I'm not seeing I, I'm I'm really curious where this guy is getting this other XFL date unless it's some sort of um maybe he has uh, access to things that we don't maybe I mean he's clearly a, a lawyer of some sort or at least trained in IP because um, he's saying that they filed something in July I I'm just not seeing it personally so I I can't speak to it exactly but um I'm kind of curious about whether WWE does let their sports entertainment XFL trademark lapse. And if they do, if that would be a huge scandal, um, you know, one of these kind of financial scandals that doesn't interest anybody else except for uh, uh, policy wonks like us. But, you know, it's a little bit like the concussion lawsuit, which is, do you really think Vince McMahon wants to jump headfirst, literally, into a, uh, a sport with a, a history of concussions and all this other neurological questions going on right now? I, th I think, about yeah, he does, because that's... There's all these risks and hazards and stigmas involved, but Vince McMahon, this impression I have is that Vince McMahon's ego, what he wants to accomplish in the world of sports and entertainment is bigger than that. You know, he, his ambition as a promoter is greater than the risks presented of hazards like CT lawsuits. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the last thing I'll say is that even though the XFL WWE's trademark talks about entertainment services and professional wrestling when the examiner looked at it and then was saying okay i'm going to publish this for opposition i'm going to let people know that i think might be conflicted with this one of the people they chose was the nfl so that's not something where wwe tells you here's the people i think will have a problem it's the examiner themselves figures out who they think should know that this trademark's going out that might want to oppose and the NFL had the option of basically trying to oppose the XFL trademark, and they didn't. But um, the first they filed, I think, some extensions to review it. But I'm sure they do that every time they get notified about it is that they want to you know, then have a lawyer sit down and think about it. But even though the XFL, WWE's XFL trademark never mentions football, it's very clear that the examiner considered it to be related to football, which says a lot about then – even though the, the Alpha Entertainment version for XFL mentions football, in essence, they're still both entertainment services for the name XFL, and I think they would conflict with each other. So how can anybody determine what the fair price is for, for, the, for that intellectual property 
to Alpha Entertainment? Like, how, how do you resolve that situation? I mean, normally um, there would be it, – it's – you know, you could argue that it's it's very similar to how do you determine what's fair compensation for a company, for a um, an executive in a company? Well, you, you would do a survey of other companies that you think are similar and you'd buy data and you'd buy information and you'd get experts and then you, you calculate a number. And so there's a compensation committee in WWE. And so I don't think it's exactly analogous, but I, I essentially I think you would hire an IP firm, a law firm independently and probably have them do an evaluation of what they think it's worth. Yeah. And then that would include some kind of report or something that says we think the fair market value of of similar trademarks that have been sold in these situations would be worth this, a range of this to this. This is a fair number. And then the non-affiliated members of the board of directors would probably be involved in in kind of signing off on the deal, in my opinion. I, I don't know a lot about corporate transactions in this, so I'm just kind of winging it based on all the, the buzzwords I know. <laughs> so if you are an expert on, you know, kind of – uh, litigating and and considering the the fair IP value of something of a fair market value, where you you have an insider transaction where there's a conflict of interest, um, please let us know what you so think. Do you think something like that is going to happen, or do you think just WWE is going to vacate their trademark and Vince is going to take it over? Well, you know, if this tantalizing trademarks guy is right, then there's some other thing that WWE has already filed in July that I just haven't found that is covering um, sports application. So. Maybe I can find it a different way. I'm going to go to owner and address. I'm going to type in world wrestling. And then it's going to bring up all the different trademarks that they've done recently, like the most patriotic show on television. And, of course, the he hate me trademark that they just applied for in October of 2016. And what's the ballpark of how many millions are we talking about here that uh, W should get for this piece of intellectual property? You know, that's a great question. Um it it depends a lot on what what we think the future value of this is going to be. You know, if you were to say, uh, what's the tape library for XFL worth and how much could you sell that to an ESPN Plus service? You know, that you could argue that's a good value of the XFL library, right? That Disney's starting up this sports streaming service. Who's going to watch and maybe, XFL games? Yeah, but do you think – would you buy – would you, Brandon Howard, yeah. buy the tape library for $1,000 if you had all the rights? And if I were, and and keep if I were in, in mind, a position to I, sell I, it, a thousand dollars, sure, I can because I can okay. I can get a thousand dollars back on it. Okay, can you get ten thousand dollars back on it? Probably. Can you get a hundred thousand dollars back on it? I don't it? know. Maybe. Think about what Flow Slam paid WWN. So I mean, just you go up from there, and at some point, it's it's worth something, and and you know maybe you would even risk adjust it. Say there's a ten percent chance. And I don't know how IP lawyers do this, but if it was me as an analyst, I might say, well, what if there's a 10% chance I could sell it to ESPN for a million dollars? I think there's a All bigger right? – Risk-adjusted value is $100,000 then. I think there's a bigger market in selling uh, XFL t-shirts maybe with uh, – I don't know – with the uh, alt-right symbolism on them to uh, conscious and unconscious but, but, bigots. But you know, ESPN just did a 30 for 30 on XFL, right? Yeah. So imagine if you, you put that 30 for 30 on your streaming service and then right underneath it, it said, would you like to watch the million dollar game? Would you like to watch that famous kickoff? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I got to believe there's some value to that library there. Yeah. So small, it, but some. what what they would be doing with it, you know, it it's going to have some value between, I would say, $50,000 and $500,000 easily. I just don't know what the value is. Um, maybe a lot more, maybe a lot less. And, and again, Vince McMahon. 
has a company with a hundred million dollars here. And if anything, that just kind of fuels the speculation, right? Because we just said, well, in theory, the potential for a football league is worth has this large market cap to it. So I don't know. I really don't know what's going to happen with this. And I think that this is a confusing and complicated topic because it involves trademarks and international classes and extensions of use and uh, Delaware incorporation filings. And so very few people are going to be able to follow all of this. Mm-hmm. And even I don't know enough about um, you know, trademarks or anything because I am not a lawyer. I have not been involved in these kind of corporate uh, acquisitions and and other sales personally, so I'm I'm talking on my ass. I'll admit that. But you know, you you made a little note here that Trump started tweeting all about the NFL on 923. So that's like a week yeah. after these uh, trademark. Oh, I'm sorry, that's a week, the same week that these trademarks get filed yeah, could, for UFR. So the Bix does this Deadspin article, which, which you can uh, read, and he closes it with this paragraph saying even if this isn't a response to the protest then what the hell is vince thinking do we make america great again football is even if probably ill-advised at least a gamble in filing or filling a perceived space in the market but what other void is there that the nfl ncaa and even the remnants of arena football league aren't filling so i i want to speculate and talk about why why is he doing this and then is it really about kneeling and as you mentioned uh which i just found you know that trump starts tweeting about the nfl he doesn't tweet before September 23rd. That's when he starts tweeting about the NFL and complaining about the, the kneeling and the anthem and all that. And then you have that's September 23rd. On September 26th, that's when this URFL what do you call it? Trademark is, is a they, they try to get this the trademark for Trademark application, yeah. yeah. It's submitted. So, so I mean that, that timing it, certainly suggests that, that this is done in reaction to this movement, I guess, that the this president is starting. this conversation that's happening around the NFL. Yeah, I I don't know if the president started the conversation. I think a lot of people were talking about everything. I think he contributed to the entire story, for sure. Um, Yeah. So you're very right that um, it's interesting to say that, you know, such a powerful person who is close friends with Vince McMahon, you know, and, and I, I don't think we have a conspiracy here where it's driving up the value and he's trying to, you know, make it a big thing. But I think they think alike and they might even talk to some of the same people who think alike. Right. So if this is about kneeling, I don't know who knows what this would actually look like. And we can speculate all day about this, but if if it's about kneeling, it's about, uh, I don't know, appealing to people who like Donald Trump, then, who, you know, this is politicized football. So what what network is going to dare air this? Um, I, th- I think. Well, and that's the theory too behind why XFL has value today is that if you're Vince McMahon and you're hearing what your offers are for WWE programming, and you say, "God damn it, pal! I I get this many million million viewers every week, and you're going to only pay me this." Well, the NFL only has this many million viewers and you're paying them this. And then he starts – the wheels start to turn and you think, well, if I could do one-tenth of what the NFL is doing well, let's do football. and I can get ten times the amount that WWE gets, basically I would get WWE's money for one-tenth the amount, amount of viewers, mm-hmm. right? And so you got to imagine also from the standpoint of saying the value today is not I have to fill the arena with live, live gate – the value today is these TV networks are going to pay me this money. And you're right. Who wants to get in the politically charged corner, which is why I don't think it's going to be MAGA football. I don't think it's going to be 
I think it's going to be, you know, uh, uh, breakneck football. I think it's going to be the like, you know, football is getting too soft. We're going to be we're going to be hardcore type thing. Mm. I guess I, it's my, my thought, if it is alt-right football, who's going to put it on the air? I don't, I don't think any, a lot of the major networks probably can't contractually, right, because they already have existing deals with the NFL that would infringe on, they would be infringing on if they aired Vince's football, right? Or But then there's still, even if that's true, there's still a, a lot of cable networks out there, I guess. Hey, Sinclair Broadcasting's out there. They just acquired a bunch of syndicates that they can perhaps air this on, and they probably are you know, politically lean in the correct way if this is really alt-right football. But uh, so even if they get it on TV, and I'm sure a lot of this stuff will be answered on January 25th if there's really a press conference on that day. But I don't think anything will be answered on January 25th. Well, I, I, could see them, <laughs> I, I, I could see them announcing a TV deal on January 25th. Oh, wow. You are very ambitious. Well, well anyway, I, so the, the further points I wanted to make is so – First of all, you got to get on TV. Second of all, you got to start an actual league with it, with teams and with players. And if your position is, yeah, we're going to, you know, be all for the anthem and we're not going to tolerate any of this protesting, you're going to have to pick from a, a talent pool that's going to be mostly probably black players, right? And so, are are is everybody is that going to limit your ability to get players to play for you? Maybe to some extent. Maybe they still will be able to find enough players to populate whatever teams he needs to populate. But so let's say all that, you know, he, he gets on TV, he gets uh, rosters and players and everything. But then what's going to happen when, when people kneel anyway, you know, and uh, <laughs> I, I hear what you're saying. I just think that the the concept that this is somehow alt-right football is maybe a little overblown. I feel like people are adding in a lot of narrative there beyond. I think to me, it's the you can make a lot of money on football because football gets good TV rights. Now, whether or not Vince's football is going to get good TV rights is a totally other question. I think a lot of other people have added in the idea to say, well, because it was controversial and because it, he's friends with Donald Trump, it's going to be alt right football. And and I don't know if I buy that. I, I really see Vince as the kind of guy that just likes controversy and says, what if I got into the mix of this controversy here? And hey, a lot of people thought I was dumb before, but I just watched this 30 for 30 that said I was a genius about the XFL. Yeah. You know, reading his own narrative version of what actually happened. So I, I, I'm not convinced that it's necessarily going to be the sort of thing. Like I said, if you want Kaepernick to be a big star in your league, you can't start off with the premise that it's all right football, right? It's it's so incongruous that those two things are going to be together. Right. So to me, it seems more like it's going to be Vince throwing money at something. Well, now, the challenge is Kaepernick, you know, and if uh... no, maybe he doesn't. Maybe he doesn't. But a hundred million dollars won't even buy you, as people have pointed out, one twentieth of the Carolina uh, Panthers franchise, right? That That's valued at billions of dollars. And so if Vince McMahon wanted to go invest in a real NFL team, he would have to raise probably 20 times the amount of money here. Now, he could probably raise te- uh, five times as much money. I think he could easily get his hands on $500 million, um, based on his own personal wealth and, of course, what we know of his stock holdings. But – I don't think he necessarily has the billions of dollars to go in as a um, unique owner of a team. He could certainly be a minority owner of a team. Yeah. But do you think Vince would ever be comfortable being the minority owner of any team that isn't the, the what is it, the Hartford Whalers? Did he, did he have some interaction with the Hartford Whalers? Uh, years and years ago, Vince basically controlled that one arena in uh, Hartford. And I think he was also a, a, either the owner or the, the minority owner of like the hockey team at really? the time. Yeah, yeah, this was back in the seventies. Yeah, the old Vince yeah, days. Hurricanes now, but yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I think it's very disturbing. Like the idea that he's going to 
and maybe it won't really turn out this way, right? But it, it, that he's going to start a football league that's uh, going to be politicized, and and who knows how to maybe uh, halfway through the season the players will unite and, and protest against their uh, their evil owner, and and all stand and kneel in unison and, and protest against him, and then decades later the McMahon family and various documentaries will will actually make Vince out to be a hero in this moment in American history. But uh, no. Yeah such antagonism towards this idea i i i just think we're over we're overplaying the whole idea of this kneeling in the anthem is the whole storyline here because i think i think vince is much more obsessed with football for other reasons than the fact of the national anthem Uh, but to be maybe to be more moderate I, i i would see him doing fewer games rather than maybe not even like an outright league but maybe a a few games or something like that so that it's it's more efficient that way it's cheaper you don't have to employ as many football players or as many teams as many staff and then you can maybe they do something like a reality show build up for a few games sure sure that's a very good point you know one of the big things that hbo and all these other people have done are these like behind the scenes football leagues and you know the rock of course with ballers and other things where you know there's just a lot of momentum around the glamorization of of the sports league in nfl and more than just the games themselves but all the behind the scenes sort of uh and stories that you can tell so yeah i think that's a great point about this like a pro wrestling promoter you only need a handful of personalities to get over so you don't need uh teams upon teams of 45 players each you know you need you need to get a few personalities over and then you need those personalities to meet in a big competition moment such as a football game yeah it's really important to remember that the last xfl really was a joint venture with nbcu or nbc at the time and that they invested – I think it was Viacom actually invested a bunch of stock in them and helped them with the TV networks. And so this time we're not hearing that yet. It would be curious to see if we do find anyone who is doing a deal with Alpha Entertainment like you say. I do really feel like this is coming on the the, the tail of them negotiating their TV rights fees and just understanding the value that they have from that. Um, I wouldn't also be surprised if Elfair Entertainment at some point was the company that actually released that Vince McMahon biopic instead of WWE. Yeah, we could see that. Would it be? But I don't know. I, th- I think the a, a Vince McMahon biopic has strong potential to make money. So, is there? Does that determine whether hey. they should put it with whether it should be under W Studios or Elfair Entertainment? You know, Netflix says they want to do eight films this year and 80 next year. So maybe one of those 80 will be a Max Landis directed version of the Vince McMahon story. Anyway. (laughs) Um, One thing I want to kind of just connect this story to right now is uh, a little bit abstract, but it's the Wall Street Journal article all about Bob Bowman at MLB AM. So MLB AM is at uh, Major League Baseball Advanced Media. Um, which, you know, BAM eventually became basically the backbone for WWE Network. Was Bob Bowman a member of the board of directors of WWE too? I believe Bob Bowman was, in fact, a member of the WWE board of directors at one time. Uh, when I pull this up here, uh, he, yep, yep, 2003, first thing you'll find is he was, he was named to be a member of the board and, uh, he, uh, served for several years with them, uh, I know. And, and I uh, think if you remember that, the, conference or convention they had in las vegas 2008 he left yep the uh, the big the big conference that they had in, in uh 
in Las Vegas in 2014 when they were announcing the W Network and they were putting the, the, the first time pitch out there about what it's going to have on it. And they had all these people speak. And I think Bob Bowman is one of the people who spoke. And that would make sense since he's, he was the uh, MLBAM guy. Yeah, and, and clearly, you know, if you're on the board of directors directors with Vince, you're close enough with the family to, you know, have that relationship yeah. with Vince. And, and, and reading and, the um, details in this Wall Street Journal article, you could certainly see Bob Bowman and Vince McMahon being friends. Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of why I'm kind of connecting these two stories. So, so uh, Bam Tech has been incredibly successful. It just um, – Walt Disney has been spending more and more money to take control of it. They just spent – over two and a half billion dollars. Yeah, you, you could certainly uh, see Vince McMahon being at one of these Bob Bowman parties that we're about to talk about, where maybe you know they were having a conversation about how, yeah, put you should put your wrestling on our network or something like that. Well, you know that's that's where I go with it on Alpha Entertainment. If you read all of the trademark categories, there's a lot about streaming services, and there's a lot about fantasy football and fan club and other things where I wouldn't even be surprised if Elf Entertainment ends up doing more of a fantasy like take on DraftKings or something, you know, where it's it's Vince McMahon saying it, I'm going to do football, but it's, you know, I'm I'm also flipping my finger at, at the system that doesn't allow you to do X or Y. Um, but this Bob Bowman story, yeah, just to just combine the two, he, he ended up basically being told to leave MA, uh, Major League Baseball uh, AM. Yeah. And it was a years-long divide between basically uh, the headquarters in one area and then the very looser, younger environment for MLB AM two, two miles away that, quote, Bowman ran like a fiefdom. And apparently he, quote, engaged in a pattern of behavior that included propositioning female colleagues, having consensual relationships with subordinate coworkers, cultivating a culture of partying and heavy drinking with employees outside of the office – and went as far as um, supposedly at the All-Star Game last – in 2016, had a party at which women were allegedly hired to entertain attendees and they appeared to be escorts. And some were said to have supposedly been encouraging attendees to leave to have sex quickly so they could return to solicit another to attendee before the party was over. And uh, there were stories about him, I think, getting even the physical altercations with um, other officials. Uh but basically this idea being that he – that Major League Baseball basically, quote, what he gave us in heartburn was always overshadowed by what he gave us in money and yeah, that they knew that he was a problem. Guy. They knew that he uh, had a lot of um, kind of loose rules for what was happening and had created an environment. You know, We're hearing a lot of articles now about Vice having a very similar environment, which was very permissive and allowed a lot of uh, what we would consider harassment or uh, other kinds of of um, misconduct to flourish in that environment rather than being you know um, reprimanded for and so he's basically got kicked out of this very important company and it's funny to think that in 2010 he considered running for the governor of Michigan but he he decided against it according to the AP for reasons he wasn't able to commit to the run at the time he um it, it, it didn't have you anything know, to do with what he expected to be uncovered about his alleged past, did it? Well, I, you know, you think about that, but you look at the president of the United States. You know, there's lots of allegations against him, and that did not stop yeah. him from well, running was, for this office. Well, this was 2010 before uh, we, we woke up in this dystopian present. Well, yeah, but I mean, there was a, it was clear that 
a lot of things were going to be scandals. I think it's coming out now more and more people feel emboldened to speak about how they uh, have been treated in the past and, you know, being willing to out themselves and put themselves in, in the uncomfortable situation of having to talk about how they were humiliated or mistreated in the past and being branded, you know, in, in large media uh, and have being ro- rolled over the, the hot coals. Yeah. So I think it's it's interesting here to say that this guy was in such a powerful position and basically finally his past caught up with him and he is being outed and he's being kicked out. And it makes you wonder because there's been rumblings. Uh, I know Meltzer has been keeps saying it over and over again about how there's rumblings that, you know, people in wrestling want to expose some very top people who have been accused of, you know, sexual harassment, misconduct, anything else here about, you know, when you have a disparity in power between two people and there's a sexual relationship involved, uh, you run the risk that you are in fact creating in a hostile work environment or anything else about a quid quo type situation. And so I, I just think it's really interesting that, you know, such a powerful guy is being kicked out of his position and it makes you wonder about, you know, will we see a wrestling day of reckoning here? Because, of course, there have been allegations in the past about, you know, Vince McMahon and having affairs and, and things of that nature. It came out in one of the trials. You know, I think that he was sleeping with his secretary. So, I mean, I'm not making this up. And there's always been stories about with the um, the female referee in the early 90s. And there is there's some scandal with uh, someone in a tanning salon. Right. And this is uh, within the last 15 years or so. There was yep, there was a situation with that. And, you know, other people who have you know, uh, allege that, you know, divas were put in positions where they were encouraged to, you know, be very close with some, someone in management, not necessarily Vince, but other talent. We can see some uh, of the skits that he's done over the years, just like, you know, the backstage skits where you have to kiss Vince McMahon. I mean, that's clear as day on, on their programming. Yeah. 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 So it, and, and then in the course of the CT lawsuit, um, with all the claims that are coming out from different people, um, you know, one of the the claims that was kind of boiling up and causing a little bit of controversy was all about uh, Ashley Masario, who was claiming that she was sexually abused while she was on a international tour, and WWE basically saying we never heard anything about it. We think that she contributed to the troops overseas. Thing. Yeah, 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 and and basically WWE's take in the the documents that they filed was basically that she had gone to see a doctor while at one of these bases and during that they performed some exam and she felt that it was an inappropriate exam to have been performed at that time and and that's what she was referring to whether or not that's exactly the incident she's referring to or not i don't know but um that was kind of wwe and and in the end they the filers of that ct lawsuit were chastised basically for including that that claim in there and then once again including it again in the amended complaint um, WWE at least objected to it very strenuously. I don't know whether they've been chastised again for including it, but um, they're, they're, you know, just as an example of someone talking about uh, assault. And and there's been other people, you know, just this week there was an Australian uh, women's wrestler who was talking about uh, Mario Milano coming in and allegedly trying to put holds on her and instead just groping her a bunch and and her feeling very violated and feeling that that was an example of a a legend you know for australia coming in and and in fact was just really abusing their power and and was mistreating people and that sort of thing was just unacceptable and and you know disgusting right well, we have seen the story around michael elgin and, and all that it's happened recently yep yep so um 
just this Bob Bowman story, I think, is a really interesting example of a very powerful man in a media conglomeration who was getting kicked out. And it's it's kind of fascinating to see. It was kind of the intersection of Disney and MLB, right? And so it almost sounds like the MLB people were the ones that ended up giving him the boot even more than the Disney people. Right. So, and if, and if I could put uh, my own uh, tinfoil hat on, I wonder, too, if – does does Vince look at situations like that? And is that one of the reasons why he'll – he's he's – Intent on holding on to controlling interests in WWE, like when anyway, like when uh, BTIG brought up the idea of selling more of the company or selling it to a media conglomerate, and brought this up in a quarterly conference call, and Vince said something to the effect of, "I don't know how much control you lose when you do that." So I wonder. I wonder. Yeah, if Vince, I've I've wondered if, that if, too if about loses, you know if you would ever have an independent board such that you could have allegations against Vince like because that. Because let's say if if. if some allegations came up against Vince right now. He's got controlling interest in the company. It would be harder to force him out of the company, right, than if he was not a controlling owner. Yeah, but I do think his wife plays a big role in that where she, because of her prominent position in the, the president's cabinet, you know, and as someone who's been very outspoken about women in politics and women in the workforce, there, there, you know, that would put her in a on very – Because of that? I think it would put an enormous amount of pressure on them and on on Stephanie and on all of the blue chip sponsors. You know, WWE success, as much as it is controlling the the voting shares, is about the advertisers making NBC happy enough for NBCU to want to keep that kind of money in there. Oh. And you can imagine NBCU having an incredible leverage on WWE. You think about like Mattel and all their blue chip sponsors and all the charity organizations that they're associated with. Yeah, so I, I I could see a day where Vince McMahon would have to um, resign ignobiously, um, ignominiously. I'm not even saying the word right here, <laughs> but in in somewhat shame, you know, uh, from allegations like that. Allegedly, I, I don't even know whether we will will live to see that. He's already 72, so I mean, I, what I would be fascinated with is if Bowman ends up connected to Vince's firm. You know, that's complete speculation. You know, out of left field, but you could see that. Couldn't you that, yeah, you know, but, hey, this guy's free. He's got experience in streaming sports, TV rights, live event promotion, ticket sales, statistics, like a lot of connections uh, and they can stream this stream video of this or and sports connections and all that. Let's take a short break, do a refill on our coffees yeah. and uh, convene. Okay. Can you guarantee me right now that there will be a year two for the XFL? Can I guarantee you that? I can't guarantee you that I'm going to be breathing in and breathing out after we leave this studio. But you're pretty sure about yeah. that one. Uh, yeah, and I'm pretty sure about the continuation of the XFL in one form or another. Does that mean on network television and on NBC in year two? I would like to say so, yes. Um, NBC has been very supportive. Uh, I think that the difference here, Bob, is that people have to understand that when you start a league like this, I mean, this is not the easiest thing to do. I mean, let's face it. So when you start a league like this, even though we have many advantages, um, it, it's not easy. You, you make mistakes along the way. You correct your mistakes. You focus. Uh, and you go forward in terms of brand building. And this is brand building. This is not just television programming. And that's, that's the thing I think that a lot of people... Uh, quite frankly, miss. I mean, it's all about, you know, the you know, 13 weeks and out or less in terms of television programming these days, especially with the attention span of a lot of the programs. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. We just finished our coffee and snack break. Brandon, did you get yourself a RX bar? No, no, I didn't. Those had eggs in them anyway, but uh, no, I have my uh, 
my daily, uh, you know, I put vegetables in a, in a protein shake, and I, I blend it up with, with protein powder and, and various other things we need, need not get into the details of, but yeah, I, I, I drink shakes with vegetables in them every day. I also had some vegetables yeah. in the form of some gummy bears and some Skittles. I'm sure that's a vegetable. Maybe that's corn in, in some derivative form. There we go. It's yeah. corn. Good idea. So uh, For I want to talk corn. a little bit about yeah. our buddy Lavi wrote yeah. an article about Ring of Honor attendance and uh, was shared by some superstars in the major wrestling media world. But first, let's talk about this article. Looking at the attendance trends for Ring of Honor this year versus other years, what were the conclusions? What did we learn? Well, our friend Lavi Morgan published an article on ROHworld.com just looking at the attendance for Ring of Honor in 2017. And we see, uh, at least going back to 2013, probably throughout you could probably say this about the entire history of Ring of Honor, right? They are at a, at a high for total attendance in the year, about 46,000 attendees throughout the year of 2017 for Ring of Honor, with an average of about 1,100 per event. Um, so so we go back to 2013. It started at like 21,000 was his calculation. 2014 was 24,000. Then 15 and 16, we see... A, like a, a real stair step up to almost 40,000 uh, annual attendance. And then in 2017, 46,457 by his estimates. So um, a, a significant increase. What's that percentage increase for 46 over 40 is almost 15% growth year over year, which is pretty good. And uh, though, you know, just that, that change between 2014 and 2015, a lot of it had to do with the number of shows they ran. Because in uh, their their average attendance, like you pointed out, 2013, they averaged about 600 a show. 2014, they averaged a little under 800 a show. 2015, they averaged um, over 900 a show. 2016, they averaged over 800 a show. And then 2017, they averaged over almost 1,106 per show, according to his calculations, which suggests, again, a, um, a pretty huge increase on a per-show basis. Uh, if you do that math over, say, 1,100 over 900 is going to be a 23% increase. And so over the last three years here, they're doing more than 25% up. And then on attendance uh, being up more than whatever the percentage I said before was. So it, impressive, impressive amount of, of business for them. Uh, important to remember 1,100 a show. That is the absolute smallest you're going to usually be seeing for WWE events on a house show. Yeah. Um, you know, that's Monday night SmackDown going up against Raw in a small town show. That's 205 Live uh, on tour by themselves. Attendance. To put it in context, um, the main roster is averaging between five and 6,000 per North American show and about 2 million attendees, over 2 million total attendees per year. And I think I figured out something more like 4,000 to 5,000 on a house show if so you take out all those TV tapings. Yep. And then even if you look at you know SmackDown, they were still well over 3,000 on average um, for weekend shows. And then, like I said, I, I mean they certainly have done only 1,000 at a couple house shows in the last three years. So it's not to say they don't ever go below 1,000, but uh, on average that's the very low number for them, whereas that's the Ring of Honor's median so, attendance. So we're looking sense. at – a graph that's from 2013 to 2017. So that's five years. And when did uh, Ring of Honor start bringing in New Japan talent on a more regular basis? 
when did that relationship start here? International partnerships here. I'm pulling up, of course, the Wikipedia in February 2014, Ring of Honor and New Japan announced a working relationship. So if Wikipedia is correct here, the very beginning of, well, February of 2014, they started this. And you do see... Or formalized it, at least. And you do see a... Uh, an increase in attendance after that point. They may have, were they, were they having a, yeah, a but ring? I think it was bigger for when, when did Sinclair buy Ring of Honor? Uh, 2011. Because, oh, wow. Is it all the way back then? Jeez. Totally forgotten that it happened. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, they, they, Ring of Honor has been syndicated by Sinclair since tw- 2011. And have they been owned by them since 2011? I think so. Yeah, but um, so you can give a lot of credit to the uh, the New Japan talent coming in on Ring of Honor shows and increasing attendance here, but there's still another step up between last year and this year, and uh, there hasn't been an increase in participation from New Japan, right? It's still it's it's at about the same level. So I think you could give some credit here to to Cody, to the Young Bucks, to what they're able to do with the new media, maybe to some nudges that they've had from wrestling media, which we've talked about in the past. Well, and I think I think the cross-pollination, too, of New Japan into the U.S. mindstream helps because if you're seeing Cody Rhodes on a Wrestle Kingdom show on New Japan World and you're seeing the Young Bucks be a star act on New Japan World, that only helps kind of drive the demand for Ring of Honor stuff when those New Japan stars are coming over because you're also being exposed. And we're seeing that so much with Kenny Omega where Kenny Omega has become a legitimate North American drawing card. And Ring of Honor has benefited from putting him on on their cards as well. Yeah. But you would argue it is because he's a star in New Japan. It's not like Kenny Omega was a star just as an independent wrestler. He became a star in New Japan. He became a drawing card in the U.S. And then Ring of Honor has been able to capitalize on that. And um, so uh, it's it's a a snake eating the snake – the tail on the opposite side. It's a self-feeding – Right now, and so I think it's great for them. Obviously, if Ring of Honor had a better syndication and, and distribution, and be better ability for people to watch the shows at a convenient price, you know, I've heard some backlash uh, fe- reader feedback where they say, you know, I, I like what Ring of Honor is doing, but I'm not interested in spending thirty five dollars for a show when that's the equivalent of three different subscribing platforms i could be getting you know i could go get my wwe network and my club wwn and my my powerbomb tv for the price it's costing me to watch one that, of that's show. like a mid-level ticket right 35 dollars i probably think like a general admission ticket is cheaper for ring of honor right it's gotta be cheaper than 35 dollars. well i'm talking about the i-pay-per-view price oh okay yeah and so my point being it's tough to spread your word and you're right we we're talking about attendance here so i i kind of flipped the scale suddenly from attendance to um, you know, subscription. But I, I feel like part of the reason that they're doing successful is New Japan is affordable so people can see these streaming stars regularly. Where and, and to some degree, the Ring of Honor has that kind of fan club where you can watch, you know, some of the stuff, though I've never heard great traction on that service that the, you know, the ringside they're, they're membership. You can watch the TV on a delay of a few days and you, there's a limited VOD library and you get discounts on merch and tickets. But it, inarguably... Um, Ring of Honor has benefited this year from um, better booking, better talent, better um, – Has it been better booking? I'm not sure. Exposure. Oh, I, I would argue that some of the um, some of the angles, you know, what wasn't the whole – didn't the Hardys just enter WWE this year? And so wasn't their whole Young Bucks feud yeah, with – Yeah, early uh, this year. 
they were on their Ring yeah, of Honor. So, I mean, that that's a good example of, I think, really good booking of what, what has happened in, in Ring of Honor. Maybe, maybe it's a little early from uh, <laughs> the year to reference, but yeah. And then even some of the stuff that they've done with, um, you know, Cody as a champion has been interesting. You know, bringing in Suzuki and whatnot as a challenger has been intriguing. Uh, you could argue that maybe some of that stuff was not booked as strongly as it could have been. No, but I think Cody Rhodes has done a good job of making himself into a bigger star than that that hardcore wrestling audience was ready to make him if you know what i mean like i think he's done a good job of presenting himself and we've talked about this before but obviously the list that he made not even in this year i think in in august 2016 he made that list and uh i think there's some skepticism about him and he still hasn't had any blow away matches right but he's he's still made himself into an interesting character in the wrestling landscape um, and on the Al Snow uh, line, he made, what, seven figures this year, allegedly. allegedly. So, you know, he made all that money, and uh, so he must be pretty successful. He, he did that Kevin Nash yeah, money. So his matches must be five stars if he's, have, if he's making a million dollars. Talking a lot about these guys, Ring of Honor, Bullet Club guys, the Young Bucks, Cody, Marty Squirrel, so forth. Uh, they they want to do this 10,000-seat show. Uh, we had heard previously that Ring of Honor was going to basically partner with them for the show, was my understanding. Um, and at, on the 27th of November, I think it was PW uh, Pro Wrestling Sheet uh, announced that the front runners were probably Chicago, London, San Francisco, and Ontario, California, as some of the places where they might do the show. And this week I saw kind of secondary reporting, you know, Sportskedia and ProWrestling.com reporting, so take it with a grain of salt, that PW Insider had reported that they thought it would be Chicago where they would go. I think Chicago's a no-brainer, personally, because Chicago's, A, been usually a pretty good market for wrestling, B, a good market for WWE wrestling, C, a good market for Ring of Honor wrestling. And as Lobby points out. And, and D, that's... That's where, like, uh, Kenny Omega, for instance, did one of those big shots, and and they had an incredible show. So if they can get a Kenny Omega-type talent that will be at that show, there's a very good chance that that's going to sell a lot of tickets. It's pointed out by Lavi in this article that the, the second largest attendance for Ring of Honor on the year was in Chicago on October 15th. It drew an immediate sellout. A few tickets were released later, but it, it had about 2,500 fans. But the the space could have been set up to to be to accommodate six thousand fans, which it, it sounds like it was in the past when ECW had ran that same venue in Chicago years before. But they only set it up for twenty five hundred. So it, it, you know, and we know how strong Chicago has been in the past for various promotions. Uh, but uh, yeah, sure, Chicago seems like a, a a good market to try to draw ten thousand fans in. Yeah, I mean, Toronto or New York would be other places where you could imagine there being such large pro wrestling fandom audiences that you could do well. But those are expensive cities to run. New York yeah. is really tough to find a building of that midsize that you're dealing with the commission to yeah. and other costs. You know, there's a lot of talk that these guys might also be looking for some sponsorships, basically. And um, when you think about, you know, kind of pro wrestling sponsorships, you know, the one hour tees of the world and whatnot are much more closer to Chicago than other they places. Are. And I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, those are the kind of companies that do invest. You and I, I mean, truth be told, you and I for WrestleNomics Radio, we're just putting together a list of possible advertising partners. And one thing that kind of popped up as we we're going through here is that we were seeing how large kind of the independent pro wrestling Chicago um, is the wrestling T-shirt capital of the world. Yeah, like they've created quite a network of different companies that they control and and run. What what is that whole network? Let's just let's just out them on air here. 
of the their, uh, is that their one hour tees is a network of t-shirt companies or t-shirt brands. I probably should say. Yeah, but you, you showed it to me, the list of all the companies. Here we go. So pro wrestling tees, close, close top rope, Tuesday.com turnbuckle tees.com shirtsicle dot com swearwear.com pro wrestling crate.com she riot.com barbershop window.com and below the collar.com are all the same company which i'm just now realizing on air that i might have reached out to two of these companies on the same day with the same pitch so that was my bad um but uh yeah all of those companies owned by the same network of i believe one hour tees right i think so Right. I'm, I'm not making that up when I say that. Uh, so th- you know, they've really consolidated. And so just like we've seen on other industries where there's been a massive amount of kind of micro consolidation to make a profit doing what they're doing. You know, I don't, I don't uh, know there's somebody a, a bought great... somebody else out or I'm sure somebody out there knows. I think a lot of those. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I know a lot of those were bought out from other ones. I, I remember Barbershop Window, um, which I think was one of the ones I listed there. Right. Yeah, they they were as far as I knew, they were different than the other companies and they were eventually bought. And and that's another reason why we're seeing, you know, more of this licensing going on. It's not cheap to get. I one of these companies was just getting a, you know, was selling Hulk Hogan tees. I saw the other day as an announcement and it's like that's not a cheap license to get. So, it's it's just intriguing to me. So I I'm not surprised to see Chicago um, possibly as that location. If you hear better things and you want to slide in some DMs with some better knowledge, go right ahead. Maybe you're Cody Rhodes, and for some reason you think that maybe uh, Dave Meltzer wrote this article. He did not. Lavi wrote this <laughs> article, though Dave Meltzer sa- shared the article. And to be fair, Cody just said, thanks for sharing this yeah, information. Cody thanks to Dave instead of thanking our, our friend Lavi. Which I... Yeah, it's a but shame. See, see when, shame, when, you, but that's... when you work in wrestling media – Basically, any, anything important is, is reported by Dave Meltzer, and uh, nobody knows who these other people are who actually do the work. But not, I'm not saying that Dave doesn't do work. Of course, Dave does does probably more work in wrestling media than certainly in terms of words than anybody has ever done. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, good it's opportunity not, not for them. I wonder what news. what month of the year would you try to run a show like this? Uh. September, October, November, December, whenever Brian Danielson's available. <laughs> that's your vision? I think that's the odd th- answer. Do you, would you combine it with like a final battle or something for, for Ring of Honor where you would say like we're going to make it our big pay-per-view of the year and it's a 10,000-seat venue and it's a this and sure, that? Because it's going to be a bigger deal than final battle. I don't, do they really care about final battle? I know it's billed as like the biggest show of the year and it's the thing that ends the year. And, and they just did it just now and they had the, the title change hands and Dalton Castle and the title from Cody. But uh, nothing's going to be bigger than that, especially if you got Brian Danielson on the show for the first time. And especially if it's main evented by Brian Danielson versus Cody Rhodes. I think that's as, as we sit here in December, 2017, I think that's the biggest match real uh, ring of honor could realistically put on in 2018. Which is the only thing that's ironic about that is of course we've, we've seen Brian Danielson versus Cody Rhodes in WWE. I bet Um, I should do a quick cage match to uh, prove that. But, uh, you know, just versus, say, Brian Danielson versus Dalton Castle, for instance, would probably be a match we've never seen. That would be actually pretty, for me at least, more exciting. But, you know, know, it's all about context and it's about who people care about and when they care about them. And people, hardcore wrestling fans and influential wrestling fans, care a lot more about Cody Rhodes than they did 
and uh, when he was in WWE, even even if when he was in WWE, he was maybe known and recognized by more people at large. The Rhodes Scholars definitely took on Team Hell No several times, and uh, they had a, a a singles match on Raw on January fourteenth of twenty thirteen. If anyone wants to pull that up on their uh, WWE Network, they did a, a singles match in November fifth of twenty twelve, a two minute match. So you can enjoy that oh. two minute match between the two of them, Ooh. and uh, they, they teamed together and they they actually wrestled each yeah. other a number of times. Almost, I I have seventy times that they're in the ring together, but a lot of those are are rumbles and some of those are where they're on the same team but they definitely have wrestled each other both on tag and singles matches if you want spoilers of the all-in mega bullet club slash ring of honor show that will probably have that might happen in late 2017 just go to your w network vince has already (laughs) done it um but it'll be intriguing to see what what the timing is and like you say they would love to have daniel Brian on the show they would kill to have CM Punk on the show yeah. uh but that is in my Much mind incredibly yeah and and we said it a couple weeks ago that in my mind you know that the novelty of being in front of 10,000 fans is pretty non-novel for a punk yeah. to give up on his retirement in that situation especially when Vince could be offering millions of dollars to bring him back to do that versus you know you you would not be getting millions of dollars for this show. Every impression I get is that CM Punk is very disengaged on pro wrestling at the moment. Oh sure, but you know it. it money heal money and time heals all wounds. So we'll see what happens. Um, WWN has launched their own VOD video on demand service called Club WWN. Yeah. Uh, it is a nine ninety nine per month service but does not include live iPay-per-views though the subscribers will get a discount on the iPay-per-views so smart there and the i and the iPay-per-views will go on video and demand service approximately 2 weeks later so the blackout period not that long mm-hmm. and there's even a 1 month free trial offer until January 31st there is um evolves next events aren't until January 13th and 14th so i don't know you can, you can compare this to what what flow slam was offering was offering not much more than WWN, but they were offering it for twenty dollars a month or twelve fifty if it committed to a year. So that's a price point higher than this, which I guess to some extent makes up for the fact that you're not getting the uh, the live eye pay per views. Um, and so let's just be clear on which brands we're we're covering here. So that's Evolve with WWN. Uh, the old you would be including Evolve, Shine, FIP. ACW well, and, style uh, battle. I think that's well. And I'm looking here at, at their list okay. of brands on their website. It's Evolve. It's Dragon Gate Pro Wrestling, but I assume they mean Dragon Gate Dragon Gate yeah, USA. Dragon Gate USA brand hasn't run a show since 2014, yeah, yeah. though. But but you're getting the VOD content. Yes. You're getting the you're old the library. library. That's true. The the FIP content of uh, Full Impact Pro. They list kayfabe commentaries. I'll be curious if kayfabe commentaries uh, content is available on the streaming service. I got to look at this. Um, Shine Wrestling, WWN Super Show, ACW, which is uh, – I can't even read what the, the Logan is. American – Championship Wrestling, maybe? Combat. Combat, combat Wrestling. Viva La Lucha, Style Battle, WWN Studios, WWN Pro Wrestling Training Center, and the More Than Mania brands. Uh, some of those, I think, of course, not necessarily streaming brands for them. But I'm kind of curious if Kayfabe Commentaries is included on their streaming service here. 
doing some real time research, which, you know, people just love. Yeah. It, you know, when they when they're showing some of the things that they have on on demand, they, they mention timeline, the history, kayfabe commentaries. And they even mentioned things like five dollar wrestling, a wrestling odyssey beyond wrestling, CZW, um, Dragon Gate, pro wrestling, extreme rising. Spectacular de lucha libre, fight the world, FTW, gear wrestling. Uh, does this mean both CZWs streaming on both uh, the WWN platform and on the? Uh, no, I think CZW has done like one off, has done one show, one one live pay per view with WWN, and they they may have done other deals with others. Uh, so you're thinking one of them is more the taped catalog, and one of them is more the eye pay per views that they might have done. What's the other that you're referring to? Like high spots. I think they did the Onita well, show thought, through, through the High Spots Network, and I think they've done a one-off show with with WWE. Oh, you know what? So, like for example, too, there's there's a Beyond Wrestling show on here, but Beyond is also a part of the Powerbomb v- VOD service, right? So yeah. it's just one show. It's not like here's our entire library. It's like these are the shows that we've done with this platform, and so there's one one gotcha. Beyond and show it, here. That I'm guessing there's like there's not that many CCW shows, more live on the and. Oh, there's some, and and of course, um, uh, Powerbomb, which we're mentioning here, they're available for ten dollars a month or a hundred dollars annual subscription, uh, and they've been promising that they'll do a minimum of fifty-two live streams in 2018, and they're listing they have seventy promotions that are available on their service, and uh, if you just go to their website, Powerbomb.tv, you'll see l- the whole list of of the different companies. There are anything from Black Label Pro in NWA Mexico to IWA, which I was conflating with CCW at the time. IWA, they have all the old IWA Mid-South stuff. Uh, Go Mask and ILLM, Georgia Pro Wrestling, uh, and so forth. So Top Rope Promotions, other companies. Smoky, they even say they have some Smoky Mountain. Interesting. Maybe it's a different Smoky Mountain than the one I'm thinking of. But, uh. Yeah, it's it's a intriguing time, and again, that just going back to my discussion about the cost of a pay per view these days, you know, it's tough to imagine sometimes spending thirty five dollars on an pay per view and then knowing you could alternatively subscribe to three different pro wrestling streaming services for less money. So it's ten dollars just for the library and to get the the stuff that's new on a two week delay, but you're not going to get the actual live broadcasts. Those are still going to be sold for ten or fifteen or whatever it is, depending on what day you buy it on. But if you're a member, you get fifty percent off. So then, I don't know, you're still paying five bucks at them at the cheapest for for an eye pay-per-view so though you know this is this is the kind of ideas that might still exist in this economy here is that when you look at how many buys that they were getting on some of those pay-per-views and how few they got on the streaming services it suggests that maybe you know the much better model for flow slam would have been a you get the library and you pay a little bit extra to see the stuff live and it's creating more engagement with people because you have that ability for them to say well i'm not feel like i'm paying for you know paying a t- bunch of money to get uh shine content if i don't care about shine but i'm i'm showing putting my money where my mouth is when i want to watch evolve yeah maybe this is the more appropriate thing for them to do as a business i mean personally as a consumer i i'm probably not going to subscribe to this but maybe it's sort of like ufc in that you know they, they should have a fight pass where they have the the library and then they should have a a la carte price point where you can buy the big new event that's going to happen live. Yeah, and I think it's just a big question right now about what is the mainstream model and what is the niche model. Because WWE Network might not make sense to have an a la carte pay-per-view model 
even on a tiered system. But maybe it does. I, I don't know. Maybe you even flip it around where you make the pay-per-views free, not free, but part of the subscription. And it's the library that's a la carte. We'll have to see. So that'll be intriguing to me. Um, any other comments about WWN or, or Powerbomb? That's it. Mm-hmm. One thing that came out with the, the Flow Slam WWN is that they've been trying to refile several of the documents they've already filed, but this time file them as sealed documents. And so that's been intriguing because um, both uh, David Bixen's band and I had captured all these documents when they were first filed, which included things like the iPay-Per-View numbers from Evolve, from WWN. Um, and what they've now done is basically refile these documents with giant black boxes all over all the numbers uh, as if we did not already see these numbers and they're already captured on the recap uh, on courtlistener.com. So they're still out there. We still have those numbers. But the one thing that I actually appreciate is that they refiled their contract, but when they refiled it, they actually included all the pages for once because the first time they filed the contract, they skipped a couple pages. And um, notably about what they skipped was not the terms of the contract, which is what they blacked out this time, but they they had skipped things like, you know, which state would have supremacy of law for governing law, saying, of course, Texas would do it, which kind of flies in the face of WWN's um, arguments over and over again that they should not be uh, uh, accountable to this Texas lawsuit because they're a Florida-based company. Um but, you know, it's got other little things in this the, – the filing of the pages they mentioned here. Flow Film said Flow Sports will produce at least one Flow Film series per year on the WWN. Theme of the programming to be mutually determined. Event rights holder agrees to provide the necessary video rights and athlete access. Uh, there's a relationship of the parties saying the relationship between Flow Slam and WWN would be that of an independent contractor. The relationship between them shall not under any circumstances be viewed as a joint venture, employment, or relationship of confidence or trust or fiduciary relationship, which I was just amused that, you know, they're independent contractors to each other. So, of course, they're trying to screw over each other. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, um, n- none of that is surprising. Right? Not, not, that they, not that they're trying to screw each other over, but – um, but it, it's not a joint venture, which I think you know. It's important to remember that this was seen as independent contraction between these two independent parties. And, and Float Film, I wonder if that describes. I know that for a while they were shooting a documentary on on Matt Riddle. I think. Yeah, I would imagine that's exactly what that would be. Um, and then just mentioned here about the governing law, which shall be the laws in the state of Texas. Um, And then the right of first refusal says during the term of this agreement and for a period of one year after any termination of expiration of the agreement upon any bona fide offer from a third party to provide services after such termination or expiration similar to the services provided under the agreement in connection with the event, the event rights holder must provide flow sports with prompt written notice of the consideration uh, the terms and conditions of the proposed offer, including without limitation the fees and consideration to be paid, any license or ownership terms, and the identity of the pr- proposed third-party provider. Flow Sports shall be granted a period of 60 days following the later to uh, occur the receipt of such notice and the termination or expiration of the agreement, and then they can agree to basically um, match the terms and, and come to a equivalent terms uh, within so that time. So what does that mean? Does that so, mean like if W Network comes along and makes you an offer, then you have to do what? I think it's essentially that saying, yeah, if some other streaming service came along and said, we would like to stream your content, Flow Sports basically has the right to say, we will pay you that same amount of money and therefore we get to retain you. Much in the same way a lot of fighter contracts have that kind of thing that says basically, you know, if someone 
makes you a, the same offer as another company, then you have to stay with this other company because you've signed away that right. So um, you, you get into these weird arguments on at least fighters contracts around it. One of them was basically the argument about does Bellator offering you the same points on pay-per-view the same as UFC offering you the same points? Because, you know, Bellator's not going to sell as many pay-per-views as, as UFC. So if they just put in writing, we'll give you this if we get over a million buys. Is that really fair to the fighter? That was a big lawsuit at one point. Um, but essentially here, yeah, the right of first refusal, which is not uncommon. You know, a lot of times they're saying how UFC had this deal with Fox, right? Where UFC – well, actually, I take that back. That was more of a, a um, exclusive negotiation period that they had. But a lot of times it also includes a right of first refusal, which basically says you have to come back to us with whatever you're getting from somebody else, and you have to give us the right and to WWE match it. Probably has a a period where they can only negotiate with NBC Universal, right? I believe so, and that was a question at one of the conference calls not too long ago, and uh, I don't remember how it was answered, but I believe they did say yes, there was a a exclusive period where NBCU was allowed to discuss with them, and that either that period had expired or had been waived or something okay. of that so nature. we're no longer under that period of time i i i think they are allowed to talk to other companies yes but i, I could so be they wrong maybe meeting with good broadcasting right now as we speak huh? <laughs> could be meeting with flow sports right now for all we know but um yeah i just thought that was interesting that basically that they had they had had some hooks in Evolve to basic or WWN to say, you know, before you can even go out to somebody else, we have the right to even come back. And he even mentions even after the termination of this agreement for one year. So I kind of wonder with them forming their own streaming service, whether how that plays out, you know, did they have the right to basically have uh, WWN go back and say, Okay, I'm forming a streaming service with myself. Yeah. Do you want to pay me how much I'm paying myself? Or is it because of the lawsuit? Most likely they did nothing of the sort because, of course, they don't want to you know, reveal any financial terms to a company they're in litigation with right now. Yeah. They use the term um, third party here. Can WN itself be the third party? And, and at the same time, they might have also said that, um, you know, because you're suing us for breach of contract, none of this contract's going to hold up. So we, we owe you nothing. You know, why would we have to tell you about this? Because we, you've already said this contract isn't fair because it was entered in. So I, I don't know the, the exact details, but just kind of a funny little piece there, which I appreciated that David Bixenspan kind of combined two different documents to make it into one contract. So thank you, Mr. Bixenspan, for doing that. And like like we noted, you can look at this contract yourself on courtlistener.com and the recap project. It's, a, it's always exciting when, you know, it's a, it's a Friday night at midnight and all of a sudden you get an email from David Bixenspan and it's it's the latest exciting court document in professional wrestling history. So. Well, that was because I asked him to send it to me. <laughs> that was no, my no, fault. No. I'm not I complaining said, at all. I'm, I'm just in, dramatizing. In, 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 in preparation for the yeah. show, I had asked him to send that to me so that I would have it yeah. for today. So, um, There's a uh, 205 Live event we had talked about before, and it looks like they've added Matt Hardy and Bray yeah. Wyatt. And in the picture I put in the document here, I had a, a friend of mine, E.E. E. Guardian, add in a unicorn and a more you know logo just because I was so amused by the broken mat or yeah, woken mat. Unicorn, though. What's the significance of the unicorn? I just thought it looked very flashy right now. So just just seemed it looks good on full of wide shoulder there. Um, so kind of does. Do you so think this um, means like a, what do you the, think? There's a, a poor advance and, and they need to put these guys on it or were they just like, well, Matt Hardy and Bray Wyatt aren't doing anything that weekend. Let's give them something to do. Or is it both? 
No, I think it's poor advance. I think it's it's clear that they don't want it to they don't want it to be a half filled yeah. building, and that they, they probably weren't selling fast. So it was, makes a lot yeah. of sense that especially for a hardcore fan base, Broken Matt Hardy, Woken Matt Hardy is a good entity to put on there. Also, back back in the day, you know when they would run the sea show, which would be like a tent show that they would do like once a year in that neck of the woods of Rhode Island, Connecticut, somewhere around there. Um, I remember Matt Hardy was like the lead on that show back in the day. So sometimes when they had an A tour, a B tour, and then they would do a C tour just like once. And again, the only reason I remember this one is because Colin Delaney, that was like the only house show he ever did was like for the C tour where like he was or one of the few house shows he did. And he like was in a, in an angle where I think he was wrestling Matt Hardy or like helping. It was like Tommy dreamer versus Matt Hardy was like headlining the show. And then Colin took some bumps or something. So this is due to a poor advance, which I think is more likely than not. I think this is an instance where we're kind of proving that, uh, that narrative that people put out there that has a lot of truth to it of the brand is the draw, right? And the brand of Raw and SmackDown or main roster WWE, it can draw a certain number of fans, roughly 5,000, 6,000, whatever it is per show. But then you have have NXT, and NXT has proven it can draw, you know, I mean, maybe 1,000 people on a a given show when they take their tour, you know, nationwide, worldwide. Because NXT has been a pretty strong brand that's gotten, with a level of fans, obviously, has gotten a lot of hype to it. Um, but the 205 Live brand hasn't been very successful. The perception of the 205 Live brand isn't that strong, right? And so it's not drawing that well, and you can kind of think about how well the other brands that haven't been that uh, well-liked with hardcore fans haven't drawn that well, such as TNA can't even really, or Impact Wrestling, can't even really run. It's very, very reminiscent of when they had the ECW brand and they tried to run house shows. How did that go? had to basically abandon well they abandoned it you know they abandoned it to the point where they even tried to exclude it from their financial documents by by not including it as shows in their average much in the same way they do with nxt like this is where when we have these discussions about well does does the booking does the creative quality really matter to economics does it really help the draw or hurt the draw i think here's an instance where the create the creative work that they've done with 205 live hasn't been good and that's hurt this brand and that's hurt this brand's ability to draw money at live events but i would say 99 percent of the time the star is the brand you know i'm sorry the stars make yeah. the brand and so you know if you were to say who are the stars of 205 live it would have been enzo and it just shows that enzo is not a big independent draw um at, at least they didn't do false advertising like it'd be much worse if they had said we're bringing in a wwe show WWE Live, and then they sent all 205 talent. You know, people would have been outraged. So at least they they built it up by saying it's a 205 Live tour. We're booking a tiny building, and we're trying to see if we can sell some tickets. And it's not going great. And so now we're putting on some more hardcore fan people that can help. And I, I don't know if there's anything wrong with, you know, trying to build a brand. Like I say, I see one of their big avenues for success in 2018 – being run as many live shows as they possibly can run, get as much TV rights as they possibly can run, and bleed the marginal profitability of live events until it works. And the challenge with NXT has been that we have seen a little bit of a feast or famine where I don't believe the NXT brand is a draw. I do believe NXT stars are a draw. And so when we take away the Nakamura and the Asuka and the Bobby Roode 
and other people, I do think we have seen a little bit of a downturn in the demand of some NXT. And, you know, it's probably going to help to bring back, you know, the Kyle O'Reilly or Bobby Fish or yeah. some of these other people. I think it's kind of a – But I don't know I don't know if a Drew McIntyre is exciting as Samoa Joe was a few yeah. years ago. Well, I think it's kind of a maybe – I think this is the right word – dialectical thing in that the quality of the stars help the brand. And, the, and then the, the stronger the brand is, the more that brand is able to create stars. And there's, there's ingredients there. Yeah, I just think there. The... Like, I don't – yeah, I think stars are ultimately primarily what draws, but there can be brand damage too. Like, let's say we just t- took a, a bunch of stars. I mean, think of the AJ, AJ Styles example. AJ Styles couldn't draw draw when he was with TNA. They did live events with AJ Styles, whatever, they couldn't draw. But once AJ Styles was away from a damaged brand and with a stronger brand like New Japan or Ring of Honor or even WWE now, he becomes a bigger star and becomes a better draw. Even before Dodie, even before he was on that large platform. Yep, yep. No, you're very right that it's it's a uh, it's a double sided. I think they're both uh, uh, and they both yeah. contribute to each other's success or failure. I do feel like the bloom is off the rose though for NXT, where the the novelty of the touring brand with these these kind of people. You're saying averaging a thousand a show. I don't even think they average a thousand a show outside of uh, their big big shows. If you took out all their takeovers. And TV tapings, uh, you know, when they came here to St. Paul, they barely averaged a thousand at best. And from my understanding, that was one of the better shows of that last tour. So, I mean, I, I can certainly see it being a lot less than that. Okay. But it'll be intriguing. Um, happy Happy Rusev Day shirts happy seem to be Rusev sold Day, out. Yeah. This is December twenty fifth is going to be Rusev Day, right? And uh, these, if you go on wshop.com and you look at like what's the most popular item. At least yesterday when I looked this up, it was the Rusev Day t-shirts. And if you try to select a size to purchase, you can't purchase any of them except for 5XL. Um, and they're all on back order until January 1st. So now, Let me just correct you. Yeah. Uh, the XLs are on pre-order and well, the, I, the small, medium, large are on I back saw that. Order. What should I say about that? Like, what, is, is that a meaningful difference? Is that an I error? Know. I don't know. You, the point is you can't order any of them except for 5XL. Right now, the point is that WrestleNomics takes the time to get these facts right about the difference between a pre-order and a back order. What is the difference? Well, we take the time to just say that there's a difference there, and we leave it to the uh, the informed wrestling consumer to make up their mind about what they believe it means. We report, they decide. So, the uh, who knows how many uh, units they had that that were sold? Maybe they didn't have a very good supply, and they just sold out of them quickly more quickly than they expected but i think there's a real meaning here in that hey these this happy rusev catchphrase happy rusev day catchphrase is getting over and uh i don't know i think rusev's fantastic and uh he's more over than they expect him to be yeah i i mean when we talk about you know the star of total divas i think it's every time that rusev is on total divas is the star have you been Um, watching some total divas lately no, I haven't. But every now and then I'll see a clip of Rusev doing something amazing. And I'll just be like, that's Rusev doing something amazing. Yeah. And I'll be like, that's the one element of the show I'd like to watch more of is just Rusev being Rusev. Yeah, yeah. Rusev and should be one and, of the major stars in pro wrestling right now, but he's not for some reasons. And credit to Aiden English there to, you know, a guy who coming off of the Simon Gotch vaudevillians thing, you, you could have thought might might yeah. languish, you know, even though he's married to uh, Eddie Guerrero's daughter, um, you know, as a member of that Guerrero legacy there, 
family, uh, you know, not really a connection they've made a lot of. Uh, occasionally it's mentioned, but it's it's not a lot they've made of. And so it's a guy that you kind of wondered, oh, is he just going to get cut in the wake of kind of where they're going in the new direction? Mm-hmm. And it's nice to see him with a big pairing. And, you know, maybe it's a little bit like a, a Miz and Sandow situation where one guy kind of builds up in his star power and the other guy is the comedic act and then you can at least you know keep a guy somewhat strong without have making him take the face first bump in the pancakes of positivity yeah i think it's the you can look at rusev and uh, you can see the i guess the the cycle the life cycle of a modern WWE superstar which it seems to me that he's in the midst of and that you get your well, I guess maybe first of all, you start off as, a, as an obscure wrestler on the indies, perhaps, and then you get signed by WWE, and then you're in developmental for a while, and then you get called up to the main roster, and then you get a big push and go on an undefeated streak, and then uh, you sort of suffer from some, from some poor booking, and you get beaten, and then you get uh, neglected in the booking for a while, and, and then you kind of get over in ways that you're not supposed to, and then ultimately you just you know surrender to becoming a uh, kind of a comedy act, and you get over in a, in a way that you're not supposed to that way. Well, and, and you also have that, that fun little, you marry someone from the roster, you get split into different brands, you get pulled apart as a, an act on television, even though your act is much better when you're together. And, yeah. you know, there's all the, all the other fun little WWE isms that, that happen in a person's life cycle. So yeah. I think, yeah, there's, 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 there's a, applies his radical Darwinian view, uh, to, to your uh i don't know to your life and decides that you know you, you really shouldn't be with your wife so we're going to book you in a certain way and try to break your relationship up but it doesn't really succeed and then you're punished even more because vince wasn't able to succeed and so on and so forth or your wife is being punished for breaking kayfabe yeah, you know sure. with with uh you know talking about being engaged to rusev in the middle of a program how, how so, dare they uh Women's Royal Rumble announcement by WWE getting a lot of press. They've sent out a press release on the corporate website. Um, I did a poll on my Twitter just asking how many people do you think will be in this match. Um, 66% said 20 people. 16% said 30 people. 14% said less than 20, which I absolutely don't expect. Yeah. Why not 30? <laughs> and four, oh, go ahead. 16% said 30. Yeah. Um, and then four percent of the people said twenty-one to twenty-nine. And my gimmick with listing that was more like not necessarily twenty-five, but it would be like there's twenty people, you think it's over, and then person number twenty-one comes out and they win it. You know, something like that. Some kind of gimmick where you think you think it's over and then another person comes in and you had never really said ahead of time how many competitors there were, and just everyone assumed, yeah. assumed that twenty was the number. Some ideas have been that somehow you're building to an oscar ronda rousey match so what what do you do to get in that position so maybe you know other people have suggested you give the belt to oscar you have her winning it in some way and then you have ronda and then you have ronda winning the rumble and then this way she's protected in the rumble the whole time because she doesn't have to show very much and then um you know you can have a big 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 singles match at WrestleMania. And, and you know, that's the fantasy booking I've seen from the Observer staff a whole bunch. Yeah. And it, it, it at least makes sense on some level whether or not that's where they're going. You know, a lot of people – the fact – you know, there's even questions like are they going to get thrown over the top rope? And I remember Dave Meltzer said, quote, it has to be the top rope. rope. Women in WWE don't want to be treated with kid gloves. And, of course, it was just the – you know, a subtle mention of the fact that there are women like Alexa Bliss who barely come up to the top rope in a WWE ring. So, you know, getting thrown over seems very high, but they're not going to be going through the middle or – Yeah, it's not or that big of a deal. Like, it, 
It's not that. No, it's not. Short, it's not that big of a deal to be thrown over the top rope. No. And so I think that that's part of it, too, is they just want to make it clear. Hey, if Rey Mysterio can go over the top rope, these women can go over the top rope. I would um, expect 30, yeah. though. If, if you're going to do a 30-man battle royal, why not do a 30-woman battle royal? And I'm sure they can find an, an, enough women to reach 30. Well, I've seen a lot of people do the math. And they basically come out and say, well, if you go to the rosters, you can get a good 20, even if you take out the champs. If you go to NXT, of course you can hit 30 because you're going to have, you know, the Peyton Royces of the world that you can add in mm-hmm. along with other women. They just introduced two new stables on both Raw and SmackDown. So, you know, they added a lot of women uh, in an infusion. And my my view was you can always throw some legends in there. So Molly Holly can come back for one match. Yeah. Trish Stratus could come back for one match. Lita could be back from one match. Maybe not Lita because I, I think she has a neck issue, but – um, you know, you, you could even see, you know, something ridiculous like uh, I don't think they'll go the comedy angle of having a Vicky Guerrero or something where, you know, it's it's embarrassing having that per- person in because I think they want to make it a prestige uh, match. Yeah. But it would be interesting to see. Plus, they just did the May Young Classic with 32 women. So, I mean, of course, they have plenty of women that they could. It was 32, wasn't it? Yeah. So, so I mean, there's plenty of of bodies out there because especially even with that 32, you know, that they probably had another 32 that didn't get invited or, you know, sitting in some other corner of the, the roster kind of environment. And, and so haven't they always even choices. in the men's battle royal in previous years? Like Rusev was in a, in a battle royal before he was ever called up. They've – I think most years they yeah. have thrown in an NXT person in there, right? Oh, yeah. Team – Tian Bang was in one. Was he in the Royal Rumble or was he in the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle? He was in the Andre Giant. Yeah, he was in the Andre Giant. You're very right. But um, I, you know, other people joking that James Ellsworth was going to crash it and (laughs) come in. But uh, um, I'm still sticking with 20, though. I'm still sticking with 20. Uh, I do think only for timing purposes, it's going to be a lot hotter because I think having two 30-man rumbles – will be exhausting though have they done two 30 man rumbles before when they've done branded i don't think so but they did a 40 man oh no, i don't royal. think so they did a 40 man royal rumble one year right they have and they've also done battle royals over 40 people before at least one smackdown show they did they had a ton of people and i think 41 people obviously world war three um, had what 60 60 in theory yep um so i i just think from timing standpoint, it might just be overkill unless you're going really fast on those entrances with the women to do 30. So I'm going to stick with my my guess of 20. Uh, you can stick with your guess at 30, yeah. and uh, we can see which one of us is right. Well, you know, as far as like time, you know what the uh, the motivating factor is for the W Network is just to make people consume more content and spend more time using the network. So I I mean I'm I'm being half serious here, but I think there there is like a a, a lack of concern, a justified lack of concern about hard. The way that hardcore fans complain about, oh my god, this show is going to be so long. I think WWE executives are less concerned with that or more welcoming of longer shows because the I think the philosophy of the network is let's get people to consume more minutes, more hours of WWE Network content. And if that means I'm making pay-per-views a little longer, so be it. I'm with you, but I don't feel like they feel that way on a segment level. I still feel like they believe we have to break up segments into lots of pieces or shows into lots of segments and then book each segment. So I do think that they have a concern about doing two 50-minute segments of a rumble. And so that's that's where I think they, they 
they're not necessarily on the same board of saying, hey, let's just do a long match. You know, that's not always very true for them is that sometimes they would prefer to have 10 matches each going short than they do to, to have eight matches each going longer. So I, I just wondered that that's my reason. I think that the women's rumble would only be 20 instead of 30. Yeah, but, I, I, I hey, see what you're saying. Maybe they don't want to do two segments that are, first of all, very similar. because the same style of match. And uh, it may wear out the crowd for the latter segment. Plus, you know, you can see it as a building block where if this year I do 20, next year I can do 30 and I can make it a bigger deal. Just the same way that they made 40 a big deal. Yeah. Deal yeah. one. You know, that you can just say, yeah, you won this one, but this is the real one. Now we're completely equal. I do know that fans are going to read in infinitely about equality on whether it's 20 or 30, yeah. kind of disregarding that as a proportion of the, the roster, a large you're getting nearly 100% of the women on the roster, on the main roster in this match versus less than 100% of the men are going to be in this match who are on the roster. So, you know, I, I don't know if I see it as an equality thing as well, much as I, I see it as a, a, a roster employment thing. I guess the argument in defense of that argument would be that, well, we'll look for decades or the entire history of pro wrestling women have been marginalized so that's why there aren't as many women as readily available oh sure i mean it, it's like saying the men's marathon is this long and the women's marathon is only three quarters as long that would be would feel unequal so i i can get that some people are trying to make that argument we'll have to see we'll have to see um Bold predictions for 2018. Uh, let's hit some of your favorite bold predictions. We, we put out a call on Twitter. We asked people to kind of give us some ideas of what sort of things are happening. And then you kind of wrote down questions yeah. for these different ideas. So what are, what are some of your questions? And we'll go back and forth. This segment could go 10 minutes or 10 hours. Let's see what happens. Um, well, you do one, I'll do one. Oh, you're not going to answer all these questions as well? No, no, no. I'll, I'll, I'll answer it. But you pitch it, and then I'll answer you, all and right. then you give me your take, and then I'll pitch it, and then you answer, and I'll give the right. take. I don't know if this is the ideal order, but here we go. Question number one. Will Vince McMahon run a football league that actually plays a game in 2018? Uh, am I going to answer first? Is that what we just decided? No, I'm going I'm to answer first. Okay. You, you, you pitch it to me. I get to give you a response, and then you get to decide while I'm speaking whether you agree or disagree. Okay. Uh, so uh, I'm going to go bold and say no um, for all my tinfoil hat uh, uh, ideas saying I think he's going to announce some ideas, but I don't think he's going to actually get something off the ground that plays a football game in 2018 because I'm, again, not even convinced that it's an actual football league that plays games. Yeah. If we're talking a virtual world, is he going to have a sports service that operates in 2018? Yeah. I could see him having a streaming service that's streaming something or a football betting service or fantasy football or something. I, I could see that, but I don't see him running a football league next year. I'm, I'm going to go bold on that and be in the minority. What about you? I think he will run a football game of some sort. Yeah. I, what I suggested earlier is that I think he's going to, if I were to try to predict, I think he's going to run a, a some sort of league or some sort of TV show that's got a relatively small number of players, fewer than were in the XFL, fewer teams than were in the XFL. You build that up like a reality TV show, and then you build up one one team coached by CM Punk, one team coached by Vince McMahon. Yeah, yeah, we could come up with some really interesting scenarios, right? Yeah, one team coached by JBL, one team coached by Morrow. Yeah, maybe that. Um, but yeah, I think there will be a game of some sort in 2018. 
maybe it just takes all the uh, NXT guys and it's called Last Chance NXT and you get to play on a football game and then you don't get cut if you win. Yeah, and then Vince McMahon yells you're fired at you when you lose. <laughs> um, number two, uh, my question to you, will Vince McMahon have a reduced role in WWE creative in 2018 or will we not see a, uh, a major change because of his business initiative? Uh, is this is this my fantasy booking, or is it these just questions? Uh, oh, what do you think? Do you think we'll hear that Vince McMahon is you know no longer going to TVs or misses a whole month I'm of pay per view? To remove my my projection of like what I want in my fantasies, but um, no, I don't think so. I think Vince wants such control over everything, unless the the football thing really gets successful and really uh get some traction and then i don't know though like the, the all, all those risk assessments or whatever they are the risk factors are are all about vince himself so no I'll, I'll i'll lean no i i could see a situation where you announce your domestic tv rights deal and going into august or september or something you you say vince mcmahon is announcing that he will be stepping down from his ceo role in january of 2019 or something where you've already secured your deal and you give advance notice about he's going to remain as the chairman of the board, but he's no longer going to be the CEO or something of that nature. Mm-hmm. And I, I could see something that's that's a a very extreme situation. So I could even see it being a lot less than that of like he quietly is walking away from being the head of creative between September and December, mm-hmm. where essentially he's just kind of going to say he's going to remain kind of in a Pat Patterson advisory role where, you know, major pay-per-views or something he's going to get him involved, but he's not doing day-to-day things. Mm-hmm. So, so, so uh, I, I, I – I, I will go yes on this one just because I kind of believe that his business is actually going to launch in 2019 is when oh, he's really? actually going to be able to do something. And so 2018 is more him building the foundation. And so, yeah, he does have a reduced role. But again, we're, we're really, um, you know, I think we'll feel silly later that we extrapolated off of two weeks of data points to try to guess the booking in 2019. I, I think if he's doing a press conference on January 25th, there's going to be something happening in, uh, in 2018. He's going to announce that they're going to go into China any day now with a football league. <laughs> uh, you you ask. Will Ronda Rousey have a match in a WWE ring in 2018? Yes. Yeah. Yes. She, she will, I, I think we have to even stronger televised match because you could argue she's at NXT training. She's had lots of matches in WWE rings, I'm sure. But yeah, I, I if the question is even stronger, will she have a WrestleMania match in 2018? I think the answer has to be yes as well. Uh, especially because she's the sort of person that um, she's very focused. She's also very rich. She's also very um, temperamental, right? <laughs> yeah. No, I'm serious. Like we we saw that when she lost, she she, she lost a lot of yeah. confidence. Yeah. yeah, it took it hard. And she's someone who was an Olympian, like you know, like has that mentality of you know, be the best or be nothing. Yeah. And I don't see her carrying on with this for another year and a half. I don't see her wanting to be a training for another year and a half and not losing interest and wanting to move on to other things in her life. No. And, and so and I think six months or whatever it is, how long she will end up having been training for is enough to know whether or not you're going to have a match and you can have it relatively immediately. If you're a big, and star even like if her. she doesn't do Royal rumble and she doesn't do WrestleMania, then SummerSlam, I, I see it as she, she's going to do a flag, a, a 10 pole show this year. 
And then maybe I may, that's might be even as better is do SummerSlam, make SummerSlam a big deal. And the next year you can do WrestleMania and make that a big deal. And then that way you haven't burned through all of the big events in one year. I think she's going to do WrestleMania. But yeah, I would agree that uh, uh, I might see her live at WrestleMania in New Orleans, just like I saw her live in California. So maybe I am I am the uh, magic touch here. Yeah, we're, we have to go back on all these questions a year from now and see who is who is right and who is wrong. We'll have to tally it up and get a scorecard. But. Ooh, you have a tough question here, and I'm glad I'm not answering first. WWE stock price on December 31st, 2018. WWE stock price is currently what twenty eight dollars. What is it? So yeah, it's a share. It's a, a hair under twenty nine. Twenty nine fifty five as of. I'm sorry, the market hair under thirty after hours still twenty nine fifty seven. Um, can I pull up like a five year chart here? Let's see. I think. I think we'll see for the for the next year. I think we'll see growth along a similar line. So let's say thirty three thirty. Let's say th- I'll go I'll go thirty four dollars. All right. So December thirty first, twenty eighteen. At that point, they have announced the domestic deal. Yep. They have announced the UK deal. They have not probably announced the India deal yet, but I think by that point, the India deal will not be make or break. I think that will just be, you know, uh, uh, cherry on top. Um, so you think the India I deal think, is going to be worth even more than the UK deal by the end of the term? But compared to the domestic deal, oh, yeah. people are trading on the domestic deal. Because right, that's by far like, the biggest. Let, let, exactly. Let's not, let's not fool ourselves into thinking that the India deal – because there's so much turmoil in India. You don't even know if you're actually going to get paid in the very end of it all. Uh, you would assume you would be because of these you know, Sony and other big corporations being involved. But you, you can never say for sure. And you know, people might think, what are you talking about? Well, hey, they signed a deal with Thailand. First thing Thailand did, didn't pay them their money. They got sued. So it happens a lot more than people realize it happens. Um, so let's see here. So the stock – I think um, uh, J.P. Morgan Chase thought they'd hit like 37. Um, Citigroup has already put themselves back into neutral. They're at 30 now. I think it's going to go up. Then it's going to go back down. You know, your number 33 is all right. 34 is all right. I think it's going to be on an artificial low at the time. So I'm going to go with 3192. 3192. You like the all right, I'm reading this next one, right? Will Vince McMahon sell majority control of WWE in 2018? Not a chance. My answer is also uh, no. Yeah, I, I can see a deal only coming about if it's coupled with the domestic rights deal where you're you're literally saying, okay, I'm selling to Disney and Disney's going to be my no TV provider, you know? And even then, I don't think they would sell majority control. I think it would even be one of these where like they'd only buy 40%. And then, you know, would basically have some kind of agreement to get more shares as time went on or something. I think there's there are things to Vince McMahon that are more important than money and control and WWE is one of them. Yeah, I mean, I, I could see Vince McMahon being so short sighted that if someone said, hey, I'll give you your football league on my national television platform for a controlling interest in WWE, you hit him at the right time at the right hour in the right way. Yeah. Uh, you never know what, what bombastic Vince is going to do. But I, I, I think that bombastic Vince who, uh, would, would, you know, cut off his nose to spite his face isn't necessarily the same man we're looking at right now. Uh, W network subs on December 31st, 2018. You have to actually answer this one first because, uh, I answered the last one first. I'm I'm totally messing all this up, but I'm, I'm pulling up the KPIs (laughs) to see what, to remind myself, what are the, I guess we're talking about paid subs here. 
Um, so I'll say I'll give you my number one million six hundred and thirty seven thousand two hundred and ninety four one million six hundred and what thirty seven thousand two hundred and ninety four okay uh as of the last report which is a report as of september 30th right total paid subs both international and domestic were 1.507 yes 1.507 so i think it'll be a little bit higher uh by a small margin about what you said here um let's see uh, <laughs> i snuck my answer in first yeah you got a pretty good guess there um i don't know well, I mean, you can change your guess completely if you were to think, oh, it's a tiered system. Now I'm going to oh, have, you know, so you could always come up with some number where you say it's going to be 2.1 million because it's going to be 1.1 on this service and 1.1 on this other service or something. But they're probably going to, oh, we should have that in here. Are they going to tier in 2018? Um, see how long this thing can go. But if they tier and they have a, a higher, I think a higher price tier and a, and a 999 tier is the way they're going to go. So I don't know that that really changes the number that much. Um, although it will change the, the revenue and the profit. I, I, I mean, I'll, that's I'll a good go, point. Go. Yeah, on the tiered system, you might end up with 1.5 million subs, yeah. but you're making more money because you get a quarter of those yeah, I'll go, on the super high tier. I'll go a tad higher than you. 1.65 million. Wow, what 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 absolute ballsiness you did there! That's just just my uh, optimism over new media being the futurist that I am. Uh, will the WWE Network tier in 2018? Uh, the next question. Uh, my answer will be no. Uh, I would have said yes probably a year ago, but um, I'm just not seeing the signs of it right now that they are are um, convinced that. It, because of the timing of the new TV rights deal, I think they're just too nervous to do anything to network subs this year. Um, I think they will. I think this. I think the network subs are going to slow down, which kind of goes into in, the opposite of what I just said, right? I don't know. I think network subscription rates are going to they, they're they're slowing down, right? And I think they're going to continue to slow down or decelerate, and uh, they've got to extract more value out of this network. And the way to do it is to tier. And there's been so much talk about tiering over the last year that I think they're ready to do it in 2018. I think they'll do it around WrestleMania. We'll see. So I'm going to say yes. Okay. Price of the new U.S. TV deal. Um, I'll just go ahead and start off. I think they're going to get about a 1.4% or 1.4x to their domestic deal. Um, if I remember right where that would put them. I'm going to guess it's going to average maybe 210 million over the deal, but I think it will start escalating. So maybe start at 180, going up to like 210 by the middle, and you know above 210 by the end. Yeah. Is, so is that the JP that, Morgan estimate? One point four x. Yeah, I think it's somewhere in there for one of the one of the numbers that is where I took it from. So my guess is one four x with it starting at 180 million and maybe centering around 210. Yeah. I, I I can't disagree with you there. I think 1.4x is I can't really go higher or lower. Okay, uh, Russell Kingdom 12 attendance, mm. uh, and keep in mind this is metric. So metric, the metric system of a, <laughs> or do you count people differently in the metric system versus the whatever it is English? Uh, I'm I'm including super no vacancy seats. Mm. Well, New Japan's website reports a number that 
we think is a real paid number. Um, and in the past, it's been like 25000 26000 um, I'm, I'm going to make it clear. I'm going to prices write you. So whatever number you say, I'm just going to go one higher. Yeah. Or you can just say one. Um, thirty-two thousand. All right, I'm thirty-two thousand and one. You're you're going to go higher, okay? Yeah, I I do think it will be a, a very very high end number that they're going to announce. NGPW World subscribers on January 5th. That's not that far off. January 5th, how many? Uh, assuming we get a number. We may or may not ever get an answer to this, but we might because we did last year or this year, whatever. Did they break – they didn't break 100,000 no, last year, No, they're at 65,000 I think. Is yeah, that's what I thought. So I'm going to go with uh, 87,654. Wow, okay. Um – Hmm. 90,000. Mm. It's going higher. It's going higher, Bill. Show me 90,000. Yeah. Will Brian, Daniel Brian Danielson, mm-hmm. wrestle in 2018, or will the masked American dragon come back? AKA Buddy Coulter. What, was, that, was, was that one of his uh, rejected names? I'm sure. I'm sure it is. Uh, will he wrestle in 2018? What says Brandon? Yes. And uh, just to be contrarian, I will say no. Really? I will go back I to what I, I said in earlier yes. episode of this year. I think Bree, where Bree's going to stop him. Bree's going to stop him, and Vince McMahon is going to throw a bunch of money in his way. And basically, he's going to say, I love wrestling, but you know what? I can't prove I'm not doing brain damage, and I'll take my $3 million, and I'll spend a million dollars on a charity that's going to be called, you know, WrestleThon. And, you know, he's going to do, and it will be about wrestlers planting trees, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so I, I just see it as something where Vince wants what he can't have. And, you know, even even to the point of, hey, Brian, you get a you get an office position and, you know, maybe maybe Brian Danielson moves on in his life and says, you know what? What bugged me before being this close to wrestling and not wrestling, I, I can love it in a different way. No, I think he's I don't know one way or another. He's going to wrestle again. If, if Vince won't let him wrestle, he'll wrestle outside of WWE. Will CM Punk wrestle in 2018? I already know your answer is no. Uh, you, you you don't see it. I don't see it, it in 2018 yet. No, no. I, uh, we're still within the statute of limitations yeah. of uh, you winning my bet with Brian Alvarez. So yeah, no. no I think he'll probably re- somewhere, some way. I think he'll wrestle again someday, but no, not not next year. Yeah, especially not when this lawsuit. Um, is continuing on yeah. uh granted you know you could see indirectly this being part of the cause to drop the lawsuit but i honestly think that you gotta let the bl- bad blood boil out yeah. and you know kind of uh mellow with age the, we kind of buried the lead here the most important question that we have to ask here will it sushi onita be inducted into the w hall of fame in 2018 no about, I, I think the bigger question will Asushi Onita even be in the United States for a wrestling related uh, event in 2018 on WrestleMania weekend? And that I could see happening. You could see Russell Khan booking Onita to show up yeah. and sign autographs. However, I don't think he's going to be there. I would love if he did. I would. I would probably even take the, uh, you know, take the uh, the trip to see him if he was in New Orleans somewhere yeah. that weekend. Yeah. Um, I guess I'll have to say no, to be, to be realistic. 
Um, he's definitely not going in the Hall of Fame. There's no because WWE doesn't want to highlight death matches and stuff. There's Vince doesn't know who he is. I but mean, he went to Titan Tower. He there's a picture of him shaking hands with Vince from the nineties. Have you not seen really? this? Have you not seen this? I think I forgot about it. It was probably during like the the. Uh, uh, I forgot that that ever happened. Oh, Sushi Onita, Vince McMahon. Let's see what we get when I. Yes. Oh my goodness! Yeah, there's a. Oh jeez. Uh goodness. There's a couple. Yeah. Oh look, there's one with JRs uh, in there too. Yeah, look at that right there. Yep, I guess uh, I'll give you that. But um, you know, uh, it kind of like I almost feel like it's one of those where there's that famous picture. Was it Tanahashi and is referred to as as shaking hands with Japanese fan yeah, backstage? Yeah, big fans. <laughs> oh wow. Okay, no, I don't see it happening. Okay. Um, you know, I, I there's certain people. You know, like Fujiwara was an interesting one. Well, not Fujiwara, but um, or was it Fujiwara? Fujinami. Fujinami. Thank you. Uh, the doctor of WrestleNomics. Um, that he was interesting. Yeah. You know, he, he was exciting that they decided to do that. It was unexpected, but at yeah. least there was a WWF connection and a New Japan connection, yeah. which is much more in the line of where he's been in his mindset a lot of these years. Yeah, not much of a speech, but yeah. Sakuraba did a good speech for the UFC Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Will progress or ICW events appear on the WWE Network in 2018? So this could be in library form or this could even be on a live streaming form. Do I get um, to answer first? You answer the last one. You first. sure do. You sure do. Yes, and it'll be part of a tiering, of a premium tier. I am going to say... If if I'm getting the choice of both progress or ICW in next Either year, one doesn't necessarily have to be both. I'm going to still stay with no because I just don't think this tearing is going to happen next year. I'm I was all for it. I felt it was coming a couple months ago, and now it's dead in my mind. So no, I think Vince will be distracted with his football project, and uh, Hunter will get get them on there. <laughs> will Ring of Honor and or the Bullet Club slash the Young Bucks slash Cody Rhodes run a live event that draws at least ten thousand fans? So this is a two-part question. Number one, will they run the event? Number two, will they actually draw their 10,000 fans? So will they run the event? Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I, have, I have very little doubt of that. Will they actually draw 10,000 fans? You're asking me? I'm thinking out loud. If they can... 10,000 is a lot. I will say yes. I will say yes, I think, in Chicago. Because, honestly, if New Japan is going to play so heavily to the West Coast... I kind of feel like this is the throw the bone to the Midwest because I would love to go to that new Japan live show. Right. Mm-hmm. But going to long beach, that's it's a, it's a haul for me yeah. going to Chicago from Minnesota. That's an easy, that would not be hard. You're going to go if it's in Chicago, you're going to go. I would love to go if it's in Chicago and I would love to report on it live for Russell Nomics radio. Yeah. Um, and, and it, you know, it's a, it's a one hour flight for me. It's a six hour car ride. It's a, you know, it's a place where I have friends and family, so it would not be tough for me to stay there. Mm-hmm. Um, Chicago is such a hub to fly into. I, I have thought about it. Like, if they run that show, I should probably be there to to because it'll be a little bit of wrestling history. But uh, yeah, I think I think they will figure out a way to make it happen. And Brian Danielson being there, I think, will be the key. All right. Uh, next question: Will Impact Wrestling at FKA? Global Force Wrestling, FKA, TNA Impact, FKA, TNA, FKA, Total Nonstop Action. 
still be operating on as December 31st. National Wrestling Alliance dash total nonstop action. <laughs> will they still be operating on December 31st of 2018? Yes. Yes, they will because they're owned by the Fight Network and the Fight Network isn't going to blow blow it all away yeah. until they sell their assets to WWE in a in a clearance sale. Yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah, it, uh, Impact Wrestling will some way, somehow will exist for a long time to come. Now, if you were to ask me, do I think Don Callis will still be the EVP of Impact Wrestling in 2018? That's a harder question. But um, yeah. Well, who's who's uh, in, in a higher role of authority there, Scott Demore or Don Callis? Do we know? I get the impression I thought of Scott they were both. I thought they were both in the same level of position. Yeah, maybe they're, uh, what would you call that? They're peers or and they're both subordinate yeah. to Ed Norholm. Yeah, but I mean, just the idea that will Don Callis be able to retain this position in the U.S. or I'm sorry, in Canada for for Impact, retain his New Japan connection, you know, and not at some point be, for lack of a better word, exposed and upset politically. Yeah, I mean, it's just like with Jeff Jarrett, you know, at times you'd be like, why wouldn't he be in? And then at other times you're like, of course he's going to get kicked out. Um, I think that. Callis is smart enough and Demore is smart enough to know how to kind of not rock the boat because the expectations seem to be falling to such low levels that there's not much you can do to, to underwhelm management here. So as long as you just don't overpromise and, you know, the way they basically decided to go out to talent has been, what does the talent want to make them feel like they can be part of our organization without feeling that they are going to be bound or signing away their life rights? You know, a bigger question might be like, is Lucha Underground going to exist and tape and um, or is it actually going to um, will they will they basically will um, Lucha Underground tape a fourth season in 2018? Will they tape and air their fourth season, okay. let's say, because I, I think there's always a possibility that they'll tape it and it'll end up like those, um, you know, like that, that Kickstarter and just go to tape and never, never be aired. Yeah. Uh, I think there's... I think no, because well they're gonna I don't know. I will say yes. Yeah. I I think I think they they're gonna pull a rabbit out of the hat and they're gonna burn that money one more time. Okay. I think I don't know. I'll I'll say a light no. Maybe they'll tape, but they won't air. Got it. Okay. All right. Well, that's been uh, WrestleNomics Radio. We've been uh, talking all about the coolest things happening in WrestleNomics history in this world right now. We're gonna have a episode in January where we talk to Lavi both about this article, but more about his new Trump mania book that has been coming out. Yeah. So it'll be really fun to right about, get to right his about take on time, things. It might be just, if, if, uh, <laughs> yeah, we might have some Vince stories to go with on all that too. That'll, that'll be a great week. And if this is, um, this is producing alt right Trumpian football, then, you know, having Lavi on to talk about his Trump Vince book will be, he'll have a, uh, he'll have a gold mine of money coming his way because of the subject of that book. I think this is going to be a record year for number of WrestleNomics episodes produced in a year by me, even going back to my Indeed Wrestling Weekly days. I don't think I've done this many consecutive weeks where we've done episodes. We're going to do one more episode for 2017 here before we're into 2018. But uh, we want to thank everybody who's been supporting us on our Patreon. Uh, we want to thank our new logo designer. What's his name? Carl, our friend Carl, one of, my, one of our former students at Grapplers Anonymous, who's a, a very good gra uh, graphic designer. He made us a new logo that you're perhaps looking at right now on your podcast app with a big W. And we've got some bear and bull logos as well. And you'll see some merchandising ideas that we're going to be coming out in the future here. So if you um, 
If you enjoy WrestleNomics Radio, you want to find some neat ways to support us. We, of course, have our Patreon, but we're also going to hopefully be selling things like coffee mugs and coffee and things like that. That might be kind of fun that I think tie in well to the uh, nature of listening to podcasts and thinking about business and economics. And as I was changing but, uh, our branding uh, earlier yesterday. Um, there's that bear and bull logo, which you, which you may see at some point. It's like, it's just red and black. And there's this, you know, like economics, right? Like uh, when you go downtown in New York, there's that bear statue. And the... so who's, who's the bear and who's the bull here? Who's the bear and who's the yeah. bull? I don't know if one of us wants to claim that we're the bear in this relationship here. I think there's going to be some subtext involved. Uh, but I, I'm excited that we get some new branding. My old branding was basically a knockoff of the Olympic wrestling logo. And so one of the reasons why I uh, did not feel I could brand and merchandise with it is I did not want to get that uh, cease and desist letter from the Olympic Committee or from anyone else. Well, so well, maybe I'm the bull who's always coming up with overly optimistic uh, predictions about what's going to happen in, in the wrestling environment. And you are you are the, the bear with your chaotic neutrality that uh, sets me straight and moderates my radical opinions. See, as a chaotic, neutral person, I'm actually one of the lines on the icon. You're, you're foolish to think I'd be one of the animals. Um, you can email us at WrestleNomics at gmail.com. You can catch us online at WrestleNomics, at Mukigana, at Brandon Thurston. Uh, any one of those is going to work. And again, if you're interested as an advertising company that wants to get your name out on a wrestling podcast, as I say, our mildly successful uh, wrestling podcast please reach out to us at wrestlenomics we've got a lot of ad spots that are open for 2018 and we've got some ad spots that are already filled so we want to thank our sponsors that are already they're going much faster than i ever would have believed they would be so please get in now uh while the getting's good to heck out okay <laughs> is that the end of the show i guess it is <laughs> I guess it sure, is. Sure, there'll be music playing over. It always sounds. It oh, always yeah, that's sounds true. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Some someday we'll integrate uh, that live. Yeah. In a world of one million wrestling podcasts, there is a new shining star with great interviews, analysis, music, and, and me, Matt Coon, on total engagement. Go to any podcast platform to listen today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.